You probably know this. Those guys? You probably know Metallica, part four. Oh, man. I thought we were doing Guns N' Roses today. Oh, shit. I spent hours, hours researching the Guns N' Roses early years. Man. Here's the deal. If people aren't listening very well, you can probably pass it off. I'm not sure how much is different between... I get Bon Jovi, Metallica, and Guns N' Roses... Uh, confused all the time. Interesting. Many people do. Right. Many people do. Which is interesting because, you know, we were talking about this recently about how Bob Rock in particular was the producer for Bon Jovi, or he was like the engineer slash mixer or something for Bon Jovi's famous Slippery When Wet. Uh, He later got put into making Motley Crue records and then some of Bon Jovi's later records as well. He, you know, he came on around the Black Album, which you would say is get, getting a little bit away from the roots. Load, to me, mm-hmm. sounds like a Bon Jovi record. I'm going to be honest. I listened to Reload a little bit before this. I have not listened to St. Anger, and I think that's where we're kind of starting, despite talking about the movie last week. It's talking about St. Anger yeah. and sort of basically the remainder of their career up to this point. So we're talking about, geez, 17 years or something of career, right? Something like that. I can have to go back for a second, though, because okay. you just compared Load to Bon Jovi, and I think that's a uh, big problem. That's okay. a big problem for me. Okay, okay. Uh, because that's just patently untrue. That tells me you have not listened to enough Bon Jovi. Um, you're, and the fact that you think Bon Jovi sounds like Load-era Metallica um, is, a, I guess, a compliment to Bon Jovi, however, totally untrue. I will admit the record that I've heard. I would say there is, are very few similarities. <laughs> I will admit the record I've heard is "Slippery When Wet," which mm-hmm. is which predates "Load" by probably a decade or more, at least. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But but put put Bon Jovi in 1995, 1996. You know, arguably over the hill a little bit for his career and their career too. Could he have done? Well, I guess if you heard the sh- if you heard the shit they were doing in ninety five, ninety six, you'd know that there was absolutely no comparison <laughs> whatsoever. Okay, that's a that's a good point. <laughs> bon Jovi's peak was like nineteen eighty seven. Okay, okay, um, and it never really went. They never made, you know, they, they did the whole kind of hair metal type thing. Um, you know, they did slippery and wet. It never really got like better or any harder edged after that. Okay. So I, I uh, yeah, we, we're going to have to not make those comparisons because <laughs> you're just going to piss off fans of both. Right. Okay. Really? Right, right. Fair enough. Um, they do have Bob Rock. Yeah, I, they do have Bob Rock in so common. The production and I, is I do, similar for sure. But. Yeah, you, you do. Maybe sonically you hear a, a similarity or two. Sure. Um, you know, but it, it's, I, I don't know. I To me, when we get to like, I think I think we ended in the uh, the last uh, episode kind of talking about the movie, and I think I even said at the end, like, we didn't really talk much about the album because the album sucks. Right. Um, the album that they were making, you could see while they were making the movie, although the movie's fascinating and it's great and I love it, and I'd watch it again right now um, if asked to, um, you can see the album they're making is just 
not going to be good. Right. It's going to be very bad. It's it's right. it's terrible. They're not getting along. They have a yes man as a producer just being way overly encouraging of everything they're doing. No one to tell them like no, this sounds bad. Right. Um and 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 they're all too walking on eggshells around each other to like just, you know, for someone to stand up and be like, "You know what, guys, let's not record this one." Like, right. Right. It's just it's just it's bad. You can tell it's going to be bad. And then when you listen to it, uh, you're like, yep, this is bad. Right. And, and even when I listened to it again recently, because sometimes you know it's been 15 years since I've tried to listen to that album. Right. And so when you listen to it again, you're like, oh, okay, maybe uh, you know, given some time, I can listen to it from a fresh perspective and not be so uh, down on how this thing sounds. Uh-huh. And uh, no, it's just <laughs> dog not- shit. It's so bad. <laughs> It's so awful. So um, what is it? So you, I admit you put some songs on the playlist. I wound up skipping mm-hmm. them. I don't know which albums you put them from, but I listened to like most of Death Magnetic. Okay. Yeah. What, what's the difference between these two? Like what happened? Why Why well, would, because I, I listened to it. I was like, man, this is like a Metallica record I never knew existed. And honestly, I remember when it came out and seeing the cover and be like, that's a pretty rad looking like, you know, iron filings in the shape of a, coffin cool little uh you know logo and everything uh, or sorry cover on the record and stuff but yeah after saying anger i was like but no you know or whatever and i was surprised it's like a metallica record i never found that's uh seemed to me pretty good uh what happened the cover i didn't know i didn't know that was a coffin i thought it was a vagina um i'm gonna have to look it back you, up just in, in the interest you look of maybe again. it is let's see <laughs> if you just uh Death magnetic. Uh, you know look. what? I'm gonna put all of the words in here. Death magnetic. Yeah. Oh yeah. It'll it'll probably prefill. You're right. It does look. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay. See. I maybe one from the eighties. Maybe one from the eighties. Yeah. You're right. That, that's maybe not not today. You know. You know. What if? What if they thought? Look, we've been a little bit misogynistic, having an album mm-hmm. called Load where the co- album cover is literally, you know, for lack of a better term, Pearl Jam. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're like, look, we really need to, you know, we've seen the error in our ways. We should make something that's very, you know, Georgia O'Keefe, but metal. Um, uh, I, I call it pro-woman. Right, pro-woman. That's what I call yeah, it. Yeah, um, let, wow, We're going to get will, to death. I'll never be able to see that. Thank you, Jeremy. I thought it was Yeah, a you're welcome. Yeah, great. Show it Show it to your local pastor, see what he thinks. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, great. So I, I, th- we, but there's some things we have to talk about in between St. Anger and Death Magnetic. Okay. Uh, because what they do now is they do give it a good like six to eight years in between each album these days. Okay. So there's a lot that happened in between St. Anger and Death Magnetic. Um, there was – so St. Anger came out I think with a pretty resounding thud. Um, right. The movie came out and I think earned a lot more attention than the album itself. Um, did the movie they predate did the Im- movie? The, I guess it – yeah, no way. The movie had showed the release, didn't it? Yeah, no, no, no. The movie, I believe, came out for... Boy, that's a good question. What came out first? The movie was weird because it was not like this big, giant release. So it played at Sundance Film Festival um, in January of 2004. Right. Um, and then uh, January of 2005, it was re-released. So somewhere in the spring of 2004 is probably when you would have seen it. Mm-hmm. St. Anger was 2003, was it looks like. 
June 2003. Okay, yeah. so that tells you where I was because I hadn't even heard Saint Anger when I saw the album. Yeah, or when I'm sorry, same, when I saw same the here. I hadn't either. Like I, I don't think I've ever still listened to like Garage Inc. and a couple of other things in between. I did catch S and M, and I listened to Reload a couple of times. You know, I didn't own it or yeah. whatever, but yeah. So I, it it the the movie gained I think a lot more attention and respect than the album itself. Although I did read rolling stones review of saint anger and it made me think that maybe metallica even by then had reached what i call the bob dylan phase where <laughs> like if bob dylan releases an album of barking dogs they just rubber stamp it five stars okay and this didn't get five stars but it got four and no, it got like just saint the most rave review yes this the writer oh. just went on and on about how man this sounds like the old metallica just back in a room jamming and um it's you know heavy and it's man this is great it was really crazy to see um how fawning this writer was um over this album because it, it sucks did it you sucks did so you look bad. the writer up like was it his first? I don't know gig? He's about never him. ever, you know. Well, I don't know, but there's even. A, I mean, I don't think your first gig is reviewing albums for Rolling Stone. Um, I mean, his first. Like, but there is a scene. First set of. Reviews, oh, okay. You know what I mean? Like I, I don't know. Yeah. There, there is that scene in some kind of monster. The I think it's like the first scene in some kind of monster where I guess the album is done and they bring in a bunch of writers to listen they have like a listening event for writers right and you do see these writers listening to these songs and i remember seeing like one of those writers like really bobbing his head like like he's feeling yeah. it. he's like yeah right man, what, a, what a great song this is and i'm listening to it like this song is terrible <laughs> right. like, this is I, but also also if you're a writer um is it good for your career to trash metallica right like that's you'll never you'll never speak to them again right for sure right uh if there's any hope of like an interview you'll you'll never get that right um, so maybe there's something to that, but I don't know, man, the writer just loved it. I, I've never met anyone who likes it. Right. Um, there's criticisms about the songs, about the sound, the lack of production, Lars's drum sound, Lars's drumming. <laughs> um, there's just, the criticism is, is all the way around. And, um, they did after the album comes out to pretty mediocre, uh, I, I think pretty mediocre at best, um, um, anticipation, um, they they embarked on a tour. By the way, I also looked on the uh, on the album sales chart. Okay, uh, care to guess how many this thing sold in the U.S.? Saint Anger. Yeah, I'm gonna guess three million, four million, or something, because people were excited to have a new Metallica album. Okay, so Reload uh, sold four million in the U.S. Okay. Just in the U.S. Yeah, okay. something like seven worldwide Same. or something, right? Yeah, Saint Anger, and this was back when people were still buying albums. This was pre like you can just you know listen for free. Right. Um, this was uh, an album that sold two million copies. Two million. So copies. I guess still not bad. I mean, people still. That is a lot and of it, copies for an album that's pretty much universally reviled, right? And it did it did peak at number one in the U.S. But I I wonder if that's like. How many other hard rock albums are, you know, it peaks at number one in its category, right? right. So how many other rock, hard rock albums are, are coming out in 2003? Think about the shit coming out in 2003. Right. If Saliva puts out an album and Metallica puts one out the next day, which one's going to sell? Like no matter what. Right. Right. The Metallica album is going to sell a certain amount right. no matter right. what. Right. Um, and I think that's what 
that's what happened there because it didn't really get a bunch of radio play. I don't remember this song, these songs being on the radio at all. No, me neither. Uh, I don't remember one of those songs from the radio. Right. Um, so they they go out on tour after this. So this is the first tour. Like now, James is sober. Um, they're trying to plug this new album. I went to two shows on this tour. This is the first time I saw them. I saw them at the Frank Irwin Center in Austin. Right. Um, and it was about sixty percent full. And that's not a huge place. And then I saw them at the American Airlines Center in Dallas, um, which is about you know twenty thousand seater. Right. And again, it was maybe sixty percent full. The upper upper deck was mostly empty. Um, and so I I've looked at this tour because the tour data is on uh, Wikipedia, so you can see the attendance numbers for most of these shows. Okay. Um, and it does look like they were selling out a lot of venues. It doesn't look like what I saw was necessarily the most common thing on that tour. Um, there were places where they were still packing them in. In Europe, they were still widely popular sure. uh, at the time. You know, I mean, Metallica plays, you know, Boston. They're probably going to sell out every time, no matter what. Like, they're probably going to they're probably going to have a sellout in uh, some of those northeastern cities, especially just because of the size um, of the market. Yeah, 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 yeah. They're just they're Metallica. It's a big market. Right. Uh, of course, San Francisco, Los Angeles, There's, they're going to sell. Well, out. you know, I was thinking about this earlier. I was wondering because you mentioned how like you basically jumped on here, you know, around mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. time or because of the movie, right? So you you were aware of songs. You certainly knew of Inner Sandman or whatever. Oh, it yeah. just wasn't your jam, right? So you jump on and you were kind of excited probably when death magnetic came mm-hmm. out or at least interested whereas i was like i had been through that phase for myself which is when load when i got super yeah. excited about the band and like burned myself out on them as a young person and it what was what i found like interesting is like you know how your favorite bands they always have at least especially now you know now it's 10 years later after the albums you're like ooh. I remember that record. There's always someone now who's in their mid-20s at least or something who's like, I love that record. And they were 16 when it came out, right? There's always going to be some percentage of people in Boston, no matter how bad Metallica is doing or whatever, what their latest album is, who their kid is turning 16. And they're like, here is a lifetime event. I'm taking my kid to the Metallica show. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. But I I think that happened more on their next tour okay uh and i'll explain why in a minute yeah. but this 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 uh st anger tour i think they called it the madly in anger with the world tour okay um i mean they they went out they did it um but that they actually said i've heard, i've seen lars say that like they really didn't after that tour like they kind of for almost a year they didn't really even talk like okay they just went there they just went home and I think they were disappointed with the album, with the results. I think they were just, uh, you know, still maybe a little bit lost um, after that process, and and seeing how it turned out, I think they were really unhappy. Also, probably really ready for a break because that whole process looked like really difficult, right. incredibly difficult, right. and probably just ready for for some time apart. In 2005, after this tour ended and they had taken this long break, what got them back, because they weren't even really talking at this point, was the Rolling Stones were doing uh, a tour through the U.S. They had two shows in San Francisco, and they asked Metallica to open for them. Okay. And Lars was like, you don't say no to the Rolling Stones. So that got them kind of back. And I think it got them back and playing these shows with the Stones without the pressure of having to play new songs and plug an album. Right. It sounds like they really enjoyed it. Right. They had a really good time. Right. And so now 
now they kind of start playing again. Now Lars and James start coming up with song ideas like they used to back in the old days. Like they, they kind of just to get together, you know, separately and just start coming up with jams and song ideas. Interesting. Okay. Um, which, but which, in, and, which stopped with St. Anger, right? Basically reload and load mm-hmm. all those ones before had always been that yes. way. Okay. That's how they did it. And it stopped with St. Anger with this idea of like, we're all going to do it together. Right. And I think they saw the results from that were just terrible. Yep. Um, and so they kind of went back to the way they used to do it. So throughout 2005, 2006, 2007, um, and 2008, like they do these small, like they'll go out to Europe for like a few weeks and play a few shows. They don't do any major tours during this time. Maybe they used to do like 200 shows a year. Right, exactly. I showed you, I sent you a chart. Okay. I, uh, quick sidetrack. I looked into this madly in anger with the world thing. And you said, Mm -hmm. for example, there's a box office score data, right? At the bottom of them, for example, here is a show that sold 14,000 of 19,000 tickets. It's pretty awesome. They have put actually what the the gross revenue is. In other words, what the ticket price was. It doesn't account for security and renting the venue and all the other bullshit, the roadie crew and all that. But here's the deal. It it was like mm, 40 shows, maybe 50. Mm -hmm. Uh, All of them, the lowest one I see netted $300,000 that night. The highest one I see was a uh, 40,000-seater in Montreal that that netted $2.5 million. Over these that's 50, probably over two nights. Over, that's probably because they'll they'll lump they'll lump those in okay, together right, if they play multiple over, nights in the same place. Over but, the fifty yeah. shows or so, it is showing forty eight million dollars in ticket sales. Bonus level. This, if you look at the chart above it on the Madly and Anger uh, World Tour, looks like it's about maybe a third of the number of dates they did. Maybe it's half, but that's a hundred million dollar sure. at least gross revenue yeah. and the band is getting Just some to, major chunk of that they don't they don't really need to do anything other than small little fun european tours uh yeah no they clearly they've made enough money but it sounds like by this time like they're they need a break from the whole big giant touring cycle yeah um and and it sounds <clears throat> like so in this show th- this is interesting to me so i don't know what they were promised on this tour basically um you know tour promoters will will come along and they'll say okay metallica we'll give you $700 per show, guaranteed. And so they'll book the dates um, and sell the tickets. And so if uh, this venue only sold $646,000 in, in, uh, in, in ticket revenue, right. Metallica still gets their seven hundred no matter what. Man. And then the arena and the promoter uh, hopes to make it back with um, you know uh, whatever cut they get of concessions yeah. and things like that. Okay. Uh, but the the band, one reason why they were always plugging merchandise is because the band that's one hundred percent theirs. Right. So if they're playing Cowboy Stadium and they sell a hundred grand worth of merchandise, that's pure profit. Like that is one hundred percent in their pocket. They're not splitting that with a promoter. Or anything. Right. So that's that's one reason why that's always such a big deal. Huh. Uh, that's always that's also another reason why it kills them if they go over because if they go over time like Guns N' Roses always does right. and it costs them an extra you know hundred thousand dollars right that's coming out of their cut yeah right um, you know so that that kills them and that's why Guns N' Roses always had trouble making money on the road because right. they were always so late right. Um, so I don't know what they were uh, promised on this. I know like for the Guns N' Roses reunion tour um, back in 2016, 17, they were promised, the rumor was it was somewhere around $3 million per show. Jesus. That's what they were promised. So now it's on the promoter to go sell those tickets and make that up and, and make the money to cover that cost because Guns N' Roses is getting that 
they're that's that's their that's How, their money. You said you're you're kind of a technical geek about this. What what are the machinations mm-hmm. of this? I, I got a guy. I had a, I worked with a guy who was like a distiller for vodka in Texas. And he gave me like this inside scoop of how it works, which is like he, like his company by law had to work with a distributor and he could not like go to any bar at all, period. And mention that he worked at this place, trying to do a brokerage of a deal of selling cases of it to some bar or some person directly mm-hmm. by law in Texas. It had to be through a distributor and like whatever, because of historical reasons, that's just how it works is that like yeah. the liquor goes up to this company and this company, this, this, this echelon of companies works this stuff out. When you say promoter, what does right. that mean? I always think of like the bands being like, well, we just are like basically controlling and even the record labels doing it all or something and they're like we think it's going to be this many seats and they are buying all the ads themselves not that Lars on the phone with the radio company but like some representative at no. the record company is managing all the shit what what is no, the promoter no, 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 no. Well, it, it, it's so there are you know smaller bands i think yeah the the, the record label will fund their tour sure um, and, and there are some artists that prefer to do it that way. Like they will just rent their own venues and they will pocket the ticket money themselves, okay. but also there's no guarantee. Right. You exactly. Know, if they don't make money. They don't make money. So the arena, usually the, the big the one, arena the big one is live nation. $20,000 or whatever it is, or $50,000 yeah. for the night or Correct. the couple days it's going to be shut down to get the show ready. If it's a really big one or something right. and the artist is like, we'll float that. We're going to do it ourselves. Yes. We'll take a bath if we don't get the money back. Okay. Right. So the big one is Live Nation, okay. uh, which is, you know, Ticketmaster went from being a company that just like sold tickets to being basically a huge concert promoter. Okay. So Live Nation goes to the, or, or more likely, uh, you know, the band goes to Live Nation and they say, hey, we want to tour next year. Put something together for us. Okay. And Live Nation will come back and they'll say, all right, we'll give you half a million per show. Uh, it got to be at least 30 dates. And, you know, it's got to be from this month to this month. Or the band will do it the other way. And they'll say, all right, we want to go out on tour next summer in the Northeast. You know, they'll, they, they can do whatever. They, they, it's a negotiation, yeah, right, negotiation right. but that's crazy. what they're doing. So, so Live Nation will basically say, we'll guarantee you X amount of dollars. Right. And we will, uh, you know, we'll, we'll put it together. Um, and then you have to play X amount of shows. Interesting. And, but but the Live Nation is selling the tickets, so they get more money Live off the top is, of it. Or... They're collecting, they're yeah, right. they're collecting those service fees right. that Ticketmaster right. is so famous for. Right. Um, but they also control the venues. So like Live Nation will go to like the American Airlines Center and they'll say, "We have to have the exclusive contract to issue tickets to every event in this building." Jesus. And if you go through, if you have a band. Like you're not allowed. You're not allowed to have a band come through here right. using another promoter right. or something like right. that. Like they will, they can issue those types of non-compete clauses. Yep. Or a venue like the American Airlines Center in Dallas when it was first built. Uh, part of like the city, you know, bond measure was that the American Airlines Center has the first right of refusal for every event of like fifteen thousand people or more. Uh-huh. Like if you were going to have an event, and back when Reunion Arena was still standing. You had to go to American Airlines Center first. And if oh. American Airlines Center said no, uh, then you could go to Reunion Arena. So like after American Airlines Center was built, Paul McCartney played two nights at Reunion Arena. Because the nights that he was going to play Dallas, American Airlines Center was already booked. Interesting. So McCartney ended up playing old Reunion Arena instead. Huh. Uh Pearl Jam, Pearl Jam was famous for this. They said, well, we don't want to play Ticketmaster venues. We don't like Ticketmaster. Right. And that's why they ended up playing SMU's McFarland Auditorium right. or whatever. 
uh, or Moody Coliseum, right, right, and the Super Pit in Denton because they were playing all these offbeat venues, right, um, right. Okay. So Metallica, they're not going out on their own. Like they're using promoters. They are getting a probably a pretty nice guarantee, even for this World Wired tour. I bet, I bet each one of those guys were pocketing at least a couple of hundred thousand dollars per show, right. Close to it. Right. Uh, I bet. Right. Every show, right. no matter what. That's their guarantee, no matter how many tickets they sell. Right. So they do this. They do this tour. They take a break. They open for the Stones. Now they're, they're kind of excited again. Things are pretty good. Uh, they start making, they start writing some songs. Uh, there were some interviews. I remember like Rob Trujillo, I, I guess they were rehearsing some of these because like Rob Trujillo gave an interview where he was like, yeah, we're working on new music and... Like all I can say is like the heaviness is really back. Which if you listen to right. Death Magnetic, it, yes. it's heavy. It sounds yes. much heavier Absolutely. than um, you know than 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 Saint Anger. Right. Uh, but the biggest thing that happened in this time, I think, that vaulted them back um, into a, a huge um, you know uh, you know multi-trillion-dollar you know status band like U two. Right. Right. Was they got inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Interesting, and, and that's that seriously nothing. Uh, we, will, we've talked about this a little bit in passing. That like there's this bullshit with it where like they do put her to a vote, but people like it's actually the band itself has to kick in some amount of money or all of the money to host the event or something. Like basically they are paying for publicity. It's basically a publicity thing. Not that there's anything necessarily wrong with that, but it's just kind of a weird, like you know, I, I don't know. Do they do they go to Pearl Jam? You know, Nirvana and Stone Temple Pilots to say, look, guys, it's $1 million to buy in. And if you win, it's the $10 million, you know, event that you have to pay for. Because cause there is a vote. There's just like this bullshit vote that's like every year people are like, do you want the cure or Nine Inch Nails or, you know, uh, you know, Puddle of Mud or whatever? And you're like, why is that one on the list? You know what I mean? Um I no Metallica. There's like a committee that selects. The, okay. What, where, where I've heard the biggest problem with the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is Kiss was very outspoken about this. Okay. Was that um, they kind of dictate to you the terms in which you're getting in, and so like with Kiss, they were like, "You're getting in, but it's only the four original members." And Kiss was like, "Well, the members that are with us now have been longer than the four original members." Right. Um, and they're like, "Nope." And they're like, "And if you're gonna play, you have to play only with the four original members. Like, we're what? not gonna let Kiss play at the induction ceremony unless it's all four original members." And Kiss was like, "They gave interviews all week about what a shitty process it was and why they're not playing, and they didn't play at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame." That's crazy. Um, but it's but it's a double standard because like when Journey got in, they didn't demand that. Steve Perry sing with Journey, even though he was there. Right. Journey sang with their Current little singer. Filipino yeah. lead singer. Um, right. You know, so that's that was Kiss's problem with it is that they kind of just pick and choose Who how and when yeah. they want to enforce these rules. Okay. Um, with Metallica, it sounds like they left it up to Metallica uh, okay. because Metallica basically Lars basically said so they got inducted and Metallica decided the best way to do it was anyone who has appeared on a Metallica album gets in. Sure. There was one man that this made very unhappy, and his name is David Mustaine. Oh, no. <laughs> I was thinking you were going to say Newstead was kind of like angry or something about no. it, although I've heard Newstead's like on fine. good shape with them, good terms with them yeah. and whatnot. In the no. Hall of Fame ceremony, actually, Newstead showed up and he gave a speech and he played with them, and it was all cool with, with Newstead. Oh, no. Uh, but Mustaine, Mustaine goes around telling people to this day 
that he's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame because Metallica's in. And people are like, well, no, you're not. And he's like, nope, that's bullshit. I'm in. Yeah. And never even recorded on the records. Never, like, nothing. He he never made it on a Metallica album. He He had had writing credits on several. Yeah, that's what he said. That's that's what he says. He's like, well, I wrote some of those songs. That's true. So you think I'm not in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, that's true. And Lars is like, Lars had enough of it eventually. And he was like, here are the facts. He was in the band for 11 months. It was like 30 years ago. He was kicked out of the band before we made our first album. Like, he's not in the Hall of Fame. Right. He's not going to be in the Hall of Fame with us. Okay. Um, Big so question. So that's, yeah. Big question. Is our man Ron, is he in the Hall of Fame? Mm-mm. What? No, I don't. I uh, Maybe. I guess maybe. Was he there? Like you said, every member, or that dude was like one of the originals, you said, or whatever. Did right? Ron Did Ron play on Kill 'em All? I don't know. But I don't know, I don't know the so, answer. To this. So, like, no, no, this no. is what I'm trying to figure no. out what the arbitrary, like, a guy talked to Ulrich, you know, one day in uh, San Diego, and it's like, maybe you should be in Metallica, be in our band. It's like, well, that guy better be inducted too. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see the rock and roll. I'm looking it up. Yeah, that's I, because did Bugovny get inducted? I don't know if he did, um, because he. Let's see. I don't remember him getting. I watched the induction ceremony. I don't remember him being there. Right. And I don't remember him uh, necessarily being mentioned. That, Cliff's dad was there. Cliff, uh, okay. uh, Cliff's dad gave a nice speech. Okay. Um, Newstead was there. Newstead played alongside Trujillo. Right. Uh, when they played played a few songs uh, afterwards. So no, I'm not sure about McGovney. Good question. That's some, that's some research I'm gonna have to do after we're done with this. Right. Um, but uh, I yeah I will we'll put out like a press release. Uh, afterwards, um, so I, no, they they get in the Hall of Fame. No, I mean, listen, no matter who you are, if if you're a band, nothing is better for your brand than getting in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Really, um, like it actually has so, an uplift in oh, record yeah. sales and oh, tickets. Yeah. Like people take it seriously. Huge, really. Yes, people take it very seriously. It's a big deal. Crazy. Um, it's, it's like and it's a big deal, especially for it's it's you know it's in, a big deal. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But it's a big deal for a band like Metallica because historically, who gets in, sometimes you'll get like old blues artists that no one really knows, like the Paul Butterfield Blues Band. Okay. And you're like, all right, I, I guess they were good. I'll, I'll give it a listen. Sure. Yeah, that's true. But usually it's 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 like legacy bands that get in. You know, right, that, that's, that's true. who gets in. The big classic rock bands, that's the most um, you know common inductee. You get a few uh, hip-hop artists, uh, like the the, the, uh, the Beastie Boys got in a few years ago. Okay. Um, for some reason, they, they, they kind of ignore country music. I don't know why. I don't know why they do hip-hop and not country. This list, um, is, this list is not too long. Let me go through some of the hits here. 1986, Chuck Berry. Uh, also 86. Yeah. Man, 86, there's like nine people. What happened? This is weird. Like 1986, Chuck Berry, James Brown, Ray Charles, Sam Cooke, Fats Domino, Everly Brothers, Little Richard Elvis... Uh, the 87 they're like they're making up time here's what's going on 86 87 87 Bo Diddley Aretha Franklin Marvin Gaye B.B. King Ricky, Nel- Ricky Nelson Roy Orbison uh, Carl Perkins okay alright we're, we're gonna go backwards yeah. in time cause I think the, that the Hall of Fame was later, established in later it's one a year right or something 
Mm-mm. No, 2020, there's like no, five no, or six. No, 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 there's a good, yeah, there's a good five or six bands every year that get it. I didn't know that. I thought it was just one because like in particular, the Cure no, happened no, no. a year or two ago. And I remember being like, that's huge. But it's like, turns out actually Radiohead was with the Cure. I didn't even hear about Radiohead being in it. That is I crazy. don't think they played. I think Radiohead wanted nothing to do with it. Interesting. Even though people basically I don't think they. Man. I don't think they even showed up. <clears throat> That's crazy. Radio, yeah, Radiohead wanted absolutely nothing to do with Metallica it. Metallica beat um, our boys uh, Bon Jovi in there, which I that feels like a crime. Right. But um, okay, yeah. okay. It gives a lot of legitimacy to a band, especially like Metallica, who Why? a lot of the people who are like because it get because. It, if you lump them in and you say, "All right, here you are. You're with the big boys now." You're because but there's obviously, a big difference. I mean, that's the thing. It's crazy. Well, it's like, do they have I like know. a imposter syndrome or something? Like, how can? Yeah, but like, do you think? No, it's but it's to a different generation. Do you think your dad knows how big Metallica is? True. Right. Right. I mean, I think fair. it gives uh, it gives a level of credibility to people who didn't really know interesting who they were before or know much about them because I think a lot of people of a certain age would just think of Metallica as they still think of them probably as like young you know metal yeah. thrashers you know right exactly they don't know anything about right. them and so getting into the Hall of Fame is is there's just a difference you know when the Beastie Boys get up there in their nice suits and give a nice speech you're like huh. <laughs> Okay, it's <laughs> all so right. weird, who, who man. It, it I is, cannot it wait is to weird. see Rage Against the Machine inducted into this, and then being like you said, like in suits, and like thank you very much. Like so, Flea and Flea inducted them. Um, okay, for the the Hall of Fame decides who whoa, gives the induction whoa, whoa, speech. I don't know how they decide this. It shows who's inducted. Oh my goodness, this is okay. crazy. Like Red Hot Chili Peppers shows like nine guys. That's weird, man. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. Well, who, okay, who does it say for Metallica? Uh, let me see. What year was it? 2007 or 2008? Uh, 08. 08. 08. Okay, 08. okay, okay. Uh, Metallica. Cliff Burton, Kirk Hammett, James James Hetfield, Jason Newstead, Robert Trujillo, and Lars Ulrich. Okay, so Ron didn't make it. No. Um, and I, I don't know anything about Ron's place in the band. Sure. You know, that early on. I have no idea. But right. anyway, they get inducted in the Hall of Fame. That's a pretty big deal. Wait. Uh, at the same time, they, they are... staying in the list at all. Huh? Something's wrong with those. It's, it doesn't mention Dave Mustaine in that list. That's because he didn't get inducted with them. Oh, sorry. I missed up. Okay, wait a minute. Let, let's... Okay, I roll back the tape. I thought you were saying that he did and was like up there on stage no. with them and stuff. No. Okay, okay. No, 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 no. He didn't so and he, he's pissed he about it. He thinks he should have. Okay, okay, okay. Yes. I follow. Okay. Yeah, no. He's he's pissed about it. Right. Um, I think to this day he's still not happy about it. Right, uh, okay. That they didn't include it because it was... Supposedly it was up to Metallica to decide um, who, you know, who in the band is getting in. And oh, they did not okay. include Dave Mustaine. Okay. So, okay. Uh, no, he he didn't get in, and he's he's not happy. And, and Megadeth is not in. There are a lot of people who think they should be, but they're not. Um, <laughs> That's so one you word. have. Yeah, I you, mean, I don't know. Maybe it's just because it's been the butt of jokes, you know, or whatever, like we discussed last time. Anyway, but yeah. yeah. Anyway. Okay, fair enough. So they're they're now they start uh, recording. Keep in mind during this time again, they 
they haven't been doing the whole tour cycle like they used to. These, this is a totally different band at this point, in my opinion. Like right. now they have Rob Trujillo. They're not doing these endless tours every year like they used to. Um, they're playing a handful of shows each year between like 2006 and 2009, um, and they are spent. There, it sounds like they're kind of taking their time making their new album. Um, they do it the old way. James and Lars just start coming up with some riffs. Uh, Kirk Hammett had come up with a lot of riffs himself, and then he lost his cell phone where he had them recorded, uh, like at an airport. Okay. So he all of the stuff that he was going to contribute, he lost it. Um, and so he was kind of left out. So, <laughs> uh, they, so, so they, they decide to part ways with Bob Rock. And okay. uh, it sounds like they kind of acknowledged they were too comfortable with him. I totally agree. Um, and they go get Rick Rubin. And Rick right. Rubin, I think, has a reputation as being a guy who, like, you're, you're going to make the best album you've ever made because you're going to work with Rick Rubin. Um, and reading about this, it didn't go how I thought it did. Uh, because Rick Rubin also produced Wildflowers with Tom Petty. Right. Um, he worked He worked with Tom Petty on a few albums, actually. Right. Um, and made some really, really great music with, with Petty. Um, he's worked with – Rick Rubin's worked with everyone. He worked with the um, – didn't the Counting Crows have a thing with him? I think they were mad at him. They, they fired him for some reason. But okay. Yeah, anyway, I don't, I don't, I, he, he comes up all the time. He's one of those dudes who's going to be – there's going to be a huge documentary about him. Everybody loves him. Yes, He's for a sure. huge major like music person. I'm surprised. He'd probably be worth looking to see if there's an autobiography or like a, even a apocryphal, yeah. unauthorized biography already because he has his hands in all of popular music for the last two or three decades, right? I mean, he makes So Bob Rock – Bob well, Rock was kind of a uh, a referee, and it sounds like Rick Rubin was more like a judge. Right, uh, right, okay. He basically, he told the guys, work up your songs and have them ready right. before you start recording. Right. Like, have everything, have it all worked out and ready to go, and they would play them for Rubin, and Rick would like just say, like, that's a bad one. Don't record that one. That's right. a good one. Do that one. That, like he would just be the judge who would decide what was worthy of going on this record and what wasn't. Okay. And he really encouraged them to do two things. Number one, go back to the way you used to write. Yeah. Um, really incorporate this heaviness that you had in the 90s. But also bring back some of the speed that you had in the 80s. Right. And you hear that. It sounds like a mix of Metallica in the '80s and Metallica in the '90s. That's it what does. It sounds like yeah, it sounds really good. Um, yeah, he really he really wanted to go back to to a little bit of what they did in the '80s and kind of get back to the the metal um, when, you know, roots of, of what they were. When Rick Rubin says that, this is early on. This is like they're in the studio considering recording a track. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you know how there's B sides, right? Like the Smashing Pumpkins, mm-hmm. like for that double album, recorded like sixty songs or something. They had a whole like, right. you know, double album worth extra that came out as like just B sides. They were pretty much almost all done, completely studio ready, and like they basically were sorting them out into this is on, this is off. With Rick Rubin, I, I'm curious: is that the process? Like, is there are there twelve like some of them duds and some of them not that were studio ready done songs? And he's like, "This is on, this is off," or is it really early in the process? He's like, "Don't even pursue that." And they're like, "Okay, Dad." 
Um, I don't know how far along in the process they were when okay. they when they did this. Okay. Um, I, I don't know how many were like discarded. I don't know at what stage were they just dis- were they discarded. Right. Was it like just a jam? And he's like, eh, that's not a good jam. Don't work on that one." Right. Exactly. Um, I'm, I'm, I, I don't know the answer to that, but okay. I know that there were a couple of weird things that that happened in this time. Number one is he, you know, it's basically they said Rick Rubin was not in the studio at all. Which is bizarre to me. And this guy who's the producer is he's not the, in the studio. He's the, he's the Bob Rock dude. I mean, no. If you watch, so there's another one of those, the making of Death Magnetic, kind of like they did with the Black Album. Yeah, there's yeah. one of those. Okay. Um, and I, I kept watching it, looking for Rick Rubin, and he's not there. And I'm like, who's running this thing? So but it doesn't is, seem like a problem. This is exactly what I've seen with other artists, and I can't think off the top of my head of the people that I've seen. But he just like pops in, like he's like. Mm-hmm. You know, the fairy godmother, like just any yes. fucking artist is huge. And it's always been like that where it's like he's like listening to the album that's almost done and just a mm-hmm. thumbs up and thumbs downing through it. And, you know, sometimes they disagree with the artist a little or something and say we're keeping it anyway or something. But they're like constantly the artist like, well, that was stupid. We kept this one and we shouldn't have. He said it wasn't and nobody likes it. Dude, but it's the same. Rick, it looks like that same thing. It's like this this consultant who comes in for like twenty minutes and yeah. goes, "Yep, nope, yep, nope, yep, yep, yep." And then you're like, "There's our album, I guess." That's crazy. this was a complaint Petty had. Tom Tom Petty had this complaint that like oh. he didn't feel like Rick was like focused one hundred percent on Tom Petty, right? And he he felt like Rick was doing these other projects at the same time, and and Rick Rubin was like, well, yeah, that's kind of what I do, right? Um, but with Metallica, it didn't sound like they minded it. It sounded like he again, he was kind of the judge. He was the guy who said, all right, record this one, don't record that one, record this one, record this one. There was a studio engineer that they came to really like. Okay, uh, that was like kind of Rick Rubin's side man, right? Um, and he's the guy kind of responsible for the sound, like just sonically of the album. Is this? Um, but as they're is this the ghostwriter situation? The the Thomas Kincaid painter who's got an army of painters. Does Rick Rubin is the secret it in is, the sauce that he has like six awesome engineers or something, and they are well, all. Well, I don't know because been... this one guy and this 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 sound engineer ended up being the guy who produced Metallica's next album. Okay, so they okay. liked him so much they were like, "We're just going to have this guy do our next album without um, Rubin." So involved. yeah, they're yeah. Okay. Yeah, okay. without Ruben. Like, they just used him in, instead, and uh, apparently were quite happy with the results. But um, Rick basically would pop in every now and then. They said they might go, like, a couple of months without seeing him. But right. if you look at the recording, if you look at the recording of it, you can see such a difference in attitude from St. Anger in that they're just confident again. Like, you can really? just see them playing. I got to check that not, out. They're not walking on eggshells around each other. Right. It looks like they're doing a lot of it individually. It looks like looks like James would come in and just do his guitar part. Right. But when he's doing that without Lars looking over his shoulder, telling him that stock, um, and he's he's just working with the engineer instead. He's a lot more free to just play what he wants to play, and I think it sounds a lot better. Right. Um, and and it is ends a, up being is a, Greg Fiddleman. Does that sound right? It says engineering mixing. Yeah. Okay. All right. Cool. Cool. That's the guy who produced their next album. Okay. And you can see him in the studio. Um, he's the guy who you see in this documentary. I didn't watch the whole thing, but in, in the parts that I watched, he's the guy who seems to be kind of calling the shots. Right. Um, whereas Rick Rubin really was just the song decider. That's really what he, he did. did. Uh, this, guy's, I, this guy's got some, uh, some chops, man. Uh, Californication, uh, System of mm-hmm, Down, okay. self-titled, uh, Audio Slave. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. 
Interesting. Okay. There's another. There's a band. Uh, there's a band called the Band Perry. They play like really traditional country music that uh-huh. they used to. Okay. And they they were kind of at the cusp of making it really big. They did something pretty ballsy, and they decided to um, their their next album was going to be straight EDM, like electronic music, <laughs> <laughs> like a complete left turn, okay. not country at all. Right. And they got Rick Rubin. Rick Rubin produced that album, and his it, this makes a lot of sense. This because this album to me, uh, Death Magnetic, feels the same way. He told the band Perry, uh, these these electronic songs are are they, they're going to be good, but your standard has to be if you played that song on an acoustic guitar does it stand up okay um, in other words don't don't rely on the computer yeah you know, right right like the song needs okay. to stand up the song needs to stand up by itself and if it does right go crazy with it you know, okay okay add all the effects you want to add because a yeah. good song is a good song right and right. i think that's how he felt about death magnetic he told the guys from metallica i want you to write the quintessential metallica songs right like do what you used to do best and then the recording will take care of itself a good song is a good song yeah, and fair enough. It, it worked. I mean, because when you listen to the album, man, like it kicks off and it goes a hundred miles an hour, and yep. it doesn't really stop. There's some, like the day that never comes uh, has that really slow guitar intro. That's a great song. Okay, um, but as a whole, I mean, it is a fast, hard driving, heavy heavy is right. a deep bass on it. Yep. Um, so you know, some of those some of those albums in the '80s did sound a little bit thin. Um, this doesn't sound that way at all, man. This right. is just hard metal, heavy, and it sounds great. And I love it. There are people who complain about it. If you read, um, if you make the mistake of going on Reddit forums and reading that <laughs> Death Magnetic, yeah. um, people will complain about um, the fact that it's it's like it's too loud, like everything is overmodulated. Right. I don't think it is. I think it sounds great. Maybe this is the um, one people are talking about the stems, but I, maybe. Yeah, it might be because I feel I like the Guitar Hero shit was all like two thousand five. Yeah, I bet you it's this record that was the stem. These songs, where, these songs the, where, were all available they, on Guitar Hero. That's yeah. I think this is a record that makes sense because Guitar Hero and Rock Band and all that shit was like right around late two thousand tens or whatever. Okay, two thousand. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. Yeah. So they. They record it. It comes out. It's it's really well received. It gets radio play. Like okay. it gets back on the radio. Okay. I think it's kind of hailed as a you know, like Metallica back to what they do best. It's their first really great album in like twelve years. Right. Let Let's roll back the clock a second. Um, mm-hmm. For whatever reason, this is the hip, most hipster thing of all time. Uh, Jane and I hit Portland in February, and before COVID. Mm-hmm. People like in Portland in general, instead of like running to the Goodwill, they put a lot of stuff to the curb and it's like people just pick up whatever they want. And we found this crazy old radio, like an 80s Radio Shack radio that's like a cool little like looking, you know, half boombox looking thing. And we turn it on and to our astonishment on Tuesday nights, there is mandatory Metallica, which I'm not sure if you're familiar with this, but... Oh, I thought course. that was I Absolutely. thought that was a magical thing that 971 the Eagle came up with that existed in Dallas, Texas in the late 90s on whatever it was several nights a week or one night a week at 10 right. o'clock they're going to play two Metallica songs. I was very No, 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 no. It was at 9 o'clock and it was like 5 minutes. It was an hour. It was right. an hour of Metallica. Every yeah. week, all of the time. Every night. This exists across the United mm-hmm. States, apparently. It is not just that the Eagle in Dallas came up with or something. What, what is this? Is this that, like, Metallica pays for 
No. No, this is like um this is this is here's the problem that you have. Like classic rock has um 25 different bands that they can play five or six songs from no problem. Right. Um hard rock stations, they don't have that. They don't right. have all those legacy bands where you can play endless amount of songs that have that level of popularity. No one in their right fucking minds would do like mandatory smashing pumpkins. Right. Uh, people would be tired of that after like the second night. Uh, no offense to the smashing pumpkins or their fans, <laughs> but uh, like no one wants that every single night of the week. Right. Uh, whereas Metallica has such a deep catalog. Um, and I think they know that, listen, the data that they have, they know every time a Metallica songs come on, a Metallica a song comes on, the radio stays on the dial. Like people don't turn it off like they do if there is a, uh, I don't know, like a Creed song uh-huh. where they turn it off. But also, Crazy. check it out. Because no, you no, have... we, we are special. Although in 1998, when I heard about it, it's not when it started. Mandatory Metallica mm-hmm. pre- premiered on Z Rock Radio, which is a national syndicated radio network based in Dallas, Texas, which is like, I guess they yeah. own a bunch of them or whatever. Uh, it premiered in 1986. It was copied mm-hmm. by stations nationwide. That's yeah. crazy. I like. I just figured well, if this is a thing that to, to 2020, it has been 20 years at least, and since the 1986, it's been 35 years or something. That every well, like weekday night or at least one weekday night a month in every major market in the United States, there's a special Metallica section. But this happens on classic rock stations with "Get the Let Out." Every weeknight at nine, they're going to play Led Zeppelin for an hour. Like what? It, I've this never is heard not that. uncommon. That's much more. It, yeah, that's a, that's okay. a thing also. But uh, okay. Also, keep in mind with radio in the U.S. I don't know how it is everywhere else, but you have these big conglomerations. You have these um, these companies like Clear Channel that own a hundred stations, yeah. and if it works at one station, you better yeah. believe they're going to do it everywhere. Right. And then you have consultants. And when I worked uh, at a radio station in Pensacola, I remember this was a big thing. There was a consultant that everyone. He was this guy named Jan, and he was universally hated okay. because he was this dude in like Nashville who somehow would listen in. This was pre like internet streaming, okay. but somehow he would listen in and he would send notes like every day of what to do. He would tell the program directors every day, like play this song and this song and this song. Like the whole thing was to make all of these stations exactly alike and to take away any individual personality from those stations. No, and so no. Get, the whole thing was to, to, I mean, I'm sure what he would say is to tune in on the maximum best possible, maybe it's oh, money yeah, making, yeah, yeah. but the maximum best possible content, right? Obviously. Of course. Right. He would he would say, this idea works at this station, exactly. so we're going to do it everywhere. Right. And then this idea works at this right. other station, so we're going to do it everywhere. And it, it definitely so has the effect of no punching out the individual you know, highlights and, of course. and endearing uh, aspects of different the day, Man, the days, the days of a record label uh, slipping a DJ a record with a little uh, little cocaine yep. uh, in the pouch there right. and saying, here, give this one a spin. Right. Man, the, the days of a DJ being able to just break a record himself right. and like listen to something and be like, man, I'm going to play this. And, and a band becoming big in a city, right. like that's so far gone. Right. That is so far over with right. um, because of this. So you have Mandatory Metallica, which I got no problem with, of right. course. Sure. Um, but yes, that that 
that happens, I think, because of consultants and because of these big giant companies like Clear Channel and Cumulus who own, you know, dozens of radio stations who just copy the format. They do the exact same thing at all these stations. Um, I used to love like KZPS, the classic rock station used to do like a live, like every Sunday night at midnight or something, they would play a concert and it was, it would be an old concert, like something recorded, but it was off the wall stuff. Like they played like one night, they played like the band, a concert from the eighties from a band called the firm, which was Jimmy Page and Paul Rogers, um, of of bad company. They had a band in the eighties called the firm Okay, and they played a, a show. They played a concert from the firm and I listened to it and I'm like, Man, this is awesome. I would have never heard the firm otherwise. Right, yeah. You know, like that's right. You never heard that. Right. You don't get that anymore. Right. That's gone. Okay. Um, and the bands like Metallica benefit because they're only getting more and more uh time. You know, I heard another uh, uh you know uh, DJ say one time, or program director in Pensacola said like someone asked about like the new like Jimmy Page and Robert Plant album sure. or something like that. Right. And he was like, Yeah, we can't play it because you know, if 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 a Led Zeppelin slot comes up in the playlist, you know, because you're going to play Zeppelin every so often. Right. You know, are you going to play the new song or are you going to play Cashmere? Right. You know, Absolutely. you're going to play Cashmere. Right. Like you just, there's no room right. to really break something new. Yeah. Right. And that's unfortunate. Yeah. But at anyway, the same time, anyway, it's, a, it's, a, it's a radio station that in particular that one is, is predicated on this era of music. Right. Nobody cares about yes. Phil Collins' latest. Nobody cares about Jimmy Page's latest. Right. And, and, and there are places that you can. That's what, you know, alt rock, like a lot of it, like broke out of like college radio. People credit, you know, REM for becoming a huge college radio, like almost independent radio, you know, band that like, you know, birthed the whole alt rock scene where like then there was like, yeah, there's a movement that's not, you know, the, the big rock star movement. It's like smaller little bands, Jane's Addiction, the Pixies, you know, are a big part of that beginning wave too. But like, yeah, like that, I guess to your point is, is, is gone. Right. But at the same time, so is radio. I mean, it was the first time Jane and I had turned a radio on for serious and not serious FM, but like just in general, seriously for, for me, I think two decades, you know, I've had it in my car and I once in a while might turn it on if I'm renting a car somewhere for the shits and grins to listen to something. But I mean... You know, it, it's it's a done thing. Maybe do people do serious XM, but even that, you get to, you know, I, was it you who told me there's like a Pearl Jam bootleg serious XM, like when it's just Pearl Jam uh, live no, shows all the that. time. There's, no, you know, it, know it's that. it's some crazy niche kind of stuff that's out there. There's it's the same thing as the 500 channels of uh, cable TV, where if there is one in there is playing the new music, like I bet it's not listened to a lot by a lot of people, right? Um, so this is a good point because it, it explains why this album, although kind of universally hailed Death Magnetic, okay. uh, Rolling Stone loved it. It got on the radio. Um, everything It checked all the boxes of this should be huge, and it sold in the U.S. 1.8 million. It less, sold less than Saint Anger. Less than Saint Anger, but, but, but I oh think. But God. remember, this was this this came out in 2008. So now, or 2009. So now we're getting to the point where you can stream music. Yes. We're getting to the point where you do listen to like maybe satellite radio. We're right. getting into this era where you're not lining up at Best Buy to right. go right. buy the new release right. anymore. Right. Like those days are just over. Right. 
Yep. If a band now sells half a million albums, I think it's considered a massive, massive success. True, true. So um, it, it comes out. They embark on a pretty big uh, uh, tour uh, for the first time in um, about four or five years. Right. Um, I saw them on this tour as well and totally different experience. Okay. I mean, could not have been any more different. Um, whereas on the St. Anger tour, you know, it was a lot of empty seats. Um, it To me, it looked like they were just kind of going through the motions of playing the new songs that they knew nobody wanted to hear. Uh, mm-hmm. that weren't very melodic, weren't very fun to listen to. Right. Um, kind of a low-budget um, stage setup, and I wonder if that was just due to, you know, ticket sales slash expectations. Um, I went and saw them again in 2009, and it's packed. Like, right. there is not an empty seat to be had. Right. Um, Totally different uh, stage show. There, there are Metallica when they play arenas, they play in the middle of the floor. Right. Um, so they're they're in the round, and it's a really cool uh, setup. I, I wish more bands would do that. Yeah, I saw um, uh, some video of it uh, when I was looking poking poking around this week on YouTube about it. Um, mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. Um, I guess yeah. so. So yeah, again, this one doesn't really have the the. This one doesn't have the number of seats sold, but remember on the last tour, I saw some that were like three hundred, five hundred thousand dollars a night. Here, I'm struggle to finding one under six hundred, and let's be honest, I'm struggling to find any in six figures. They are all in seven figure yeah. territory. They're oh, obviously yeah. really big shows, and some like Sao Paulo that was um, eight point six million dollars. Okay, there yeah. was one in Brisbane, $6 million. Sydney, $10 million. Maybe it's two shows. Melbourne, $8 uh, million. Let's look one of these up in the little list yeah. here, all the shows. Maybe that's three shows, but that's still $3 million. Uh, no, Sydney was one night, and they got near $10 million for that. Okay, so that was probably a big stadium. Right. Australia is always a big draw. I think Australia kind of goes crazy when a big band comes to Australia. <laughs> right, they, sort, sort of like even the whole Kiss Brazil was silly. Trope, even Kiss, right? Mexico City, yeah, even yeah. oh yeah, Mexico City is always a, a big one. Boston, yeah, South America is always one million. Always, San Diego, eight hundred. Fresno, eight hundred. Yeah. yeah, okay. So crazy. this was a totally different. Like you could see. Yeah, you could just man. There's they were so into it. It was such a different experience. It's so different. I'm sure when you walk out and you see right. rows of empty seats. Right. Um, Meanwhile, and then you walk out a few years later and there's not an empty right. empty seat in the building. Like it's just got to be a totally different feeling. Meanwhile, how many million dollars do you have to play? Now look, this thing has a breakdown of all the songs that were played. Okay, and there are a number yeah. of there are a number of them that are capping out at 186, which I would imagine means every tingle, single time they played a show, they played oh, the sure. song. Seek and Destroy, 186 times. This tour, Master of Puppets, 186 times. One, 186 times. Inner Standman, Sad But True, Nothing Else Matters. All of those, 186 times. The next one that kind of comes up is A Few from Death Magnetic, uh, that was just your life was 170. That's a single, right? Um, the end of yeah, the line, 150. Yeah, yeah. man. And, and there's a lot here. They're like, you know, there are 30 times, you know, Orion was played six times battery 40, but man, 200 times this tour yeah. alone playing one over and it's, over and over. I hope they enjoy playing that song, man. 
It's funny because if you see, uh, because I think of a song like Battery. Yeah. This is a good snapshot of kind of where they were at this time. If you see a, a song like Battery, and we've talked about this when they were doing the bass auditions, like that sounds like a hard song to play. Like, right. you got to really be like on your game right. to play Battery. Right. it is super fast. The lyrics are super like intense and fast. And, uh-huh. Right. Um, just, you know, it's that's got to be difficult. And I've seen video, again, there's a lot of backstage video of Metallica. Right. And there's video of them backstage at this music festival. And you hear the intro music. They're all just kind of shooting the shit backstage, like right behind the curtain. Right. Um, just kind of talking and hanging out as, as the intro music is playing. Intro music happens. Battery has its own little musical intro. Right. And that's playing. They're all just, again, they're just kind of talking, shooting the shit. And then, boom, it gets to the point where the musical intro is over. And they all walk out there. With no like countdown or anything, and just don't, 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 don't. I mean, they just go right with no like, like can't even. I, I just can't imagine playing a song like that without like making eye contact with everyone and being like, okay, now. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. I, don't, I don't understand that. Right. I don't understand exactly. how musicians do that. Right. Like, but they, there are bands. There, there, there are bands like. Um, uh, Nine Inch Nails, like famously, has like like for tours and tours and tours, opened with this song "Terrible Lie" off their first record, and like mm-hmm. it's a good like sort of heavy hitting song, but it's also like mm-hmm. it's really like I, I guess rough or raunchy, I would say. So if there are sound problems, it doesn't fucking matter because it's like a real gross sounding song to begin with, and they tweak it all up and they kind of get into the mood of it. With this song, it's mm-hmm. like it's fairly straightforward. It's not a super interesting melodically song, but they, you know, to your point, like it's like basically the warm up song of like, all right, let's, you know, get some time screaming those vocals a little bit here and there. Let's, you know, there's 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 some good like sort of uh, I guess spacing between part segments mm-hmm. of the song and stuff where it's like let's just kind of you know get warmed up. Uh, yeah. Obviously, these guys can warm up backstage, no. and they do, but like that's pretty pretty nuts to just like slam the door in everybody's face like immediately and do it well you know um, and they just they just go right. i saw bob dylan one time and bob dylan worst show i've ever seen sure. and it's not even close right um, <laughs> i would never ever i wouldn't pay one dollar to go see him again it was complete <laughs> trash right and this was 20 years ago right um he's even worse now right but um i saw him in his first song he comes out plays this old country song called hummingbird and there's a guy behind me, and this was like his 34th Bob Dylan show. Right. And he goes, "Oh yeah, this is a this is a cover. He he. The first song is always the sound check. He doesn't want to butcher one of his own songs for the sound check. <laughs> That's the sound check. It's the fucking That's what the sound, sound check for, is the motherfucker. First song right. Is the first the first song of the show is the sound but check. But given your disdain like, for the uh, for Bob Dylan, doesn't it? It seems like maybe the whole concert sometimes is maybe the sound check or. It may, it may as well have been. I left after four songs. Man. I walked out after four Brutal. songs. It was so bad. So uh, we're talking uh, about anyway, like Phil, it was, it's, we're talking about filling stadiums and the millions of dollars they're making and stuff. There's a rad mm-hmm. chart at the bottom of this World Magnetic Tour thing of the song list and how many times the things are played. And man, every mm-hmm. album except for like Load and Reload, Reload has just fuel and the memory remains. But like the, yeah. the Black Album has like almost every track on it was played at least so the god that failed twice everything else 10 or more times you know unforgiven 30 times wolf and man 18 times this is this sounds like a very satisfying tour i don't know how much they changed it up like night to night but like yeah. man every like 
almost all of Garage Inc., which is interesting to me. Like, isn't that a bunch of covers and stuff? You know? Yeah, I they mean, play, they played almost all of them at one point, but only once or twice right, for a lot of them. Right, right, um, absolutely, exactly. But it's crazy. Like they they covered their entire catalog versus you know there are a lot of bands that don't do this. This looks like this so looks they, like basically Pearl they, Jam kind of numbers of like man we're playing no, all of it. You so know? here's here's what they do, and I see the Stones do it this way too, and I'm sure Pearl Jam does it this way too actually. Right. Is they have their like. Uh, maybe 10 or 15 songs that they're going to play. Right. They're going to play those songs right. no matter what. Right. Um, and then uh, what Lars comes up with a set list okay. and he has all the data of like what did they play last time they were in that city. Oh, okay. And then he, he basically tries to fill it in with stuff that they haven't played there in a long time. Interesting. That's rad. Um, okay. And some deep cuts, some hits. Um, like last time I saw them, um, they the third song they played was Memory Remains. Okay. Um, Every the shows before that, um, the two, three or four shows before that, the third song was Fuel. Okay, um, and I think it was just because they didn't play Memory Remains the last time they were in Dallas. That's some that is um, some they, attention they just, to detail, man. That's some pretty good really fan is. service, man. That's rad to like yeah. even think about. And they like, play. They've got fans. They know who go to every concert yeah. there every three years or whatever, mm-hmm. and they're really that's awesome. They really like to play these old metal covers, like from Garage Inc. Uh-huh. Um, like Bread Fan uh, was one that they played at this show in Dallas that I was at in 2009 from that tour. Okay. So they played it 30, 30 times yeah. out of 168 shows, and I saw one of them. Right. Um, so pretty pretty cool the way they do it. They change it up. Yeah. It's not predictable at all. You don't know what they're going to do. Right. Um, other than a few songs. You know they're going to play those no matter what. They tended on that tour – um, and on this tour they've been on recently, like they open with the same two or three songs every night. So, you know, what's coming there. Right. Cause I'm, I'm that guy who looks at the set list ahead of time. Oh yeah, every definitely. Time. Um, so I, I want to know what's coming. So, but part of that's also like, they have kind of a stage set up to start the show. So it has to be the same every time. For that, uh, for synchronizing for lights and, and all this other stuff that's like a... Co- correct. Per- yeah, okay. But then, eventu- but then eventually it's like... And then it was weird. Like at this show, like for Seek and Destroy, the last song, like they turned all the house lights on in the arena. Okay. Um, and, and, and played it, which was kind of a different experience. And it was... It's a... It was... That, that, that was... That was probably top five. I sent you a video actually from that show. Yeah, dude. The lasers um, and stuff. It was out of control, man. That was one of the top top five shows I've ever seen. Um, and it was, I left a Cub Scout meeting early to go to that show. Okay. But, actually. but then like in 2017 or 16, I saw you post a video on Facebook mm-hmm. of the, you know, the wall that we started, we talked about. Okay. So we're going to, we're going to get Is to that. Is that also things, your top five? Yes. Okay. Yeah. We're, we're, we'll get to that here okay, in a second. Right. So we, they, they, this is, things get a little funny. Okay. Here. Sure. They do the the World Magnetic Tour, right. which I think to that date, everything I read sounds like it was one of the just happiest, most relaxed tours they'd ever done. Okay, like it just went great. Right, everyone's good. getting along, everyone's happy. Okay, uh, James is sober at this point. Okay, um, he sounds great. Like he sounds really good. Okay, um, for a guy who sings like that, it would not like. You could forgive him if his voice like blew out. Yeah, right. Absolutely. And he couldn't do this anymore, right. but he sounded awesome. Yeah. In fact, he sounded better on that tour than he did when I had seen him a few years before. Huh. Um, they they go they get done with that uh, with that tour, and in 2011, <laughs> a lot of people scratch their heads at this point. Um, myself being one of them. <laughs> You're familiar with the. Um, the legendary artist Lou Reed. 
I have heard only jokes about this collaboration. I have heard of Lou Green. Okay. You have to tell me what bands he's from. I've only seen him no, like no, revered by other people, and then also the same oh, people call yeah. him like a total raging asshole, like universally. So I don't, I don't know a lot about him. If you want to like, go into a little detail, what you know about him? I... Well, okay, so he was a, um, a, a he was in the Velvet Underground. Okay, his whole career in the Velvet Underground and Lou Reed, Lou Reed, and everything. To me, um, he's one of those guys who his biggest fans are other musicians. Okay, um, all right, right. I've never met sort a of big time Lou Pixies Reed. kind of situation, more or less. Okay. Yeah, well, yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's funny because he's 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 revered um, in in the music scene. Other musicians love him. Um, you know, I've tried to listen to Lou Reed music, and it's just it's weird. It's quirky. It's odd. Um, and I've never, I've never been a huge fan. Um, right. he did that song. If you listen to classic rock radio as uh-huh. a kid, like I did, um, he did the song, uh, walk on the wild side. Right. Um, and right. it's basically a song about a transvestite in New York. Remember that song? Does that, does that right. really Yeah, you? definitely. Yeah. 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 Definitely. So. But that his his music is just weird. Somehow Lou Reed played with Metallica at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Like he, you know, at the Hall of Fame ceremony, everyone gets up and jams at the end together. Right. Um, and Lou Reed and Metallica played. I guess they hit it off and they kind of became friends. And they recorded this album called Lulu. And man, I don't know of anything more polarizing than this album because there are people who love it. There are people who think it's great. Rolling okay. Stone rubber stamped it four stars. Um, <laughs> Just as good as but, Saint Anger is what the review says. <laughs> but there's another writer. There's another writer I really like uh, named Chuck Klosterman. Yes, he's awesome. He's with Chuck Klosterman. Yeah, man. And he he his review said if the Red Hot Chili Peppers acoustically covered Primus's twelve worst songs, that would still be better than Lou. <laughs> Klosterman is a badass man. Oh, yeah. He is worth uh, that pearl. That guy you were telling me about, Celebration Rock or whatever, the one that had the five part pearl. Stephen Hyden. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He yeah. has Klosterman on for one of them. I can't remember which record or whatever, but it was awesome. Mm-hmm. And his books are so yeah. so good. Jane turned me on to him. He's got yeah. like, um, God, what was the one? There's one about like him road touring around. It was like really sick. Where he's like road touring around to go to places that people died or whatever, like rock and roll people died. Um, it yeah. was such, it was like a, a weird version of the finding yourself on the road, you know, uh, mm-hmm. book or whatever. Okay. Um, uh, hang on, hang on. It's called, uh, I think it's killing yourself to live is the one okay. I'm pretty sure. Anyway. Yeah. Really good. Anyway. Well, he, um, apparently did not, and I'm, I'm curious what that would sound like if the Red Hot Chili Peppers acoustically <laughs> covered Primus's 12 well, worst we're g- songs. We're going to have to do a Primus one eventually, so we'll... <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I don't know, man. Uh, we'll see. Uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll see about that. Um, I, it, but, I, you know, it was, it was, uh, it, it, there are probably more people that don't like it than do. Right. I think a lot of people didn't like it, probably didn't even listen to it. They were just like, why is Metallica playing with Lou Reed? Um, half the people who said that probably didn't even know who Lou Reed was. So, uh, this, You know, they're probably the same people who didn't like Load and Reload because they weren't metal enough. 
you know, right? It's, it's the, that type uh, of thing. Describe this for me, right? There's there's a Neil Young record where Pearl Jam is basically the studio band. I haven't listened to it. Mm-hmm. Presumably Neil Young wrote the songs and Pearl Jam played them with them rather than writing them with them. Is that what's going on mm-hmm. here? Is this truly a collaboration? Is this Metallica it's, with Lou Reed just singing over it? What is this? No, it sounds like these are like more Lou Reed driven okay. uh, songs okay. that Metallica is is putting their music on it. Okay, um, crazy. And it's it is. I've listened to it a little bit. I am not a, a true student of this album. Okay, uh, I will not claim to be. I've given it a listen. It's pretty weird. Okay, um, weird. It's just kind of odd to listen to. It does uh, does Hetfield I mean, sing at I, all? It, I don't know. Weird. Uh, I I think this is more Lou Reed driven, but yeah. I, I couldn't say that for sure okay. if Hetfield sings or not. Okay. Um, it's just strange. It's just weird. I mean, I did, I listened to it, and I didn't um, walk away with it saying, "Wow, I gotta listen to that again." So, right. Um, it, it's just it's just strange. Um, so, but they do now. They they go back into this thing like they were doing in the mid two thousands, where they play just like a few shows each year. Um, while they are presumably not doing a whole ton, um, you know, they're, they, they go, you know, Lars and James start writing another record, um, kind of the same way they used to again. Okay. Um, they get this guy, um, you found his name earlier, but they get Rick Rubens, like, uh, yeah, man. Greg something. Uh, let me grab it again. Yeah. Uh, so they get him, um, Sorry. They get him to record. That's okay. Yeah. They get him to record um, their next album as their producer. They talked, uh, they gave interviews ahead of time, like in around 2013, 14, and said they were going to use Rick Rubin again. But then they, uh, I I remember seeing a couple of quotes that, like, you know, he wasn't really around at all during the making of the last one. Right. Greg Fiddleman is the guy. And again, he's the guy who did, like, Audio Slave and Californication and all kinds of records. Yeah. So, and, and again, Tom Petty had the same complaint where he'd show up to the studio like, where's Rick? Yeah. And Rick wouldn't show up for like a week. Um, so they get this other guy to, to produce again. And it's, I mean, I didn't put any of these songs on um, on the playlist because they sound a lot like Death Magnetic. It, it would be you know pretty redundant, I think. Okay. And this is um, the new one, the Hardwired to, to this self-destruct is, this is hardwired, from a couple of years ago. In right? my mind, this... In my mind, this came out like last year. It came out in 2016. Oh my God, it came out it's four, four years, years ago. old. Like, this is crazy. I, yeah, I think about like some Facebook posts that my friends made where it's like, man, I love this record. And then, like, a, year, a day later, being like, ah, I don't like it so much or whatever. And yes, I feel like that was last year. Man, we're getting so fucking yeah. old. It's like four years No, old. this came out four years ago. Dude. And it, man, again, it was really well, it was really well received. Okay. Um, it was, it, it again, it got on the, I heard it on the radio. Right. Uh, it got on the radio. I remember the, um, the, you know what's the weird? station, the, 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 what? Okay, sorry. I, sorry. Remember how we talked about how load was 78 minutes and 59 seconds? Okay, and it was like they mm-hmm. had to shave one of the songs down to make that fit. Check this out. This record yeah. is two discs long, but it's seventy-seven minutes. What the hell? I, I don't know. Um, I wonder if something about sound quality um, improving through the years, or like that they yes. they were trying to do a concept where it's like when you listen to this record, it's this. Or, okay. I don't know, but also, does a double album mean anything? Does anyone actually buy a physical CD? Anymore. Right, like I didn't. I had no right. idea this was a double album until like I read that today. I had no idea. Um, 
Right. But they, so this is, this is, this, this comes out, even the, like the radio station, the, the, the sports station I listen to here, who kind of, they ragged on some kind of monster pretty bad uh, about a year right. ago. Like they watched it and, and they okay. were like, they just did a whole segment laughing about how ridiculous these guys, these rich right. assholes are. Right. right. And they like, I remember one of the guys like, you know, these new Metallica songs aren't that bad. <laughs> they're actually pretty good. Right. And they like, they're like, it's a strong really strong album um you i think if you look at death magnetic and um and this one it again it sounds like metallica in the 90s mixed with metallica from the 80s james still sounds really really good um i think having rob trujillo makes all the difference in the world just having a you know strong personality but just a kind of a deeper um, harder bass sound than right. what Jason had, but right. they probably also allow him to have that. Whereas Jason, I think they always pushed him to the side a little bit. Right, um, right. You know, so so there was that. But what happened was, I, I I've, I've read a little bit about how like Guns and Roses got back together during this time. Okay. So Guns and Roses get gets back together with Slash for the first time since the mid nineties. Right. And they announced that tour, Guns N' Roses did, and it surprised me because they were playing stadiums. Right. Like they were playing big, giant football stadiums. Right. And I went to the Guns N' Roses show in Houston, and I remember looking on Ticketmaster. I bought tickets the day before, and it looked like there were still quite a few seats available. Okay. And I was a little bummed about it because who wants to go to a show with a bunch of empty seats? And I get there, and it's packed. Um 60,000 people in this stadium seeing the Guns N' Roses reunion show. And it was awesome. One of the best shows I've ever seen. Okay. Um, we are quickly we running ten. out of the top five shows you've ever been to. Like, really quickly. That's why I called it top top ten. Top ten. <laughs> okay. uh, so, they, um, Metallica, for, they, I guess, decide um, that they, they think they can pull it off. They, they can pull off a stadium show. Their new album is really well received. Um, it sells only about a million copies, but again, no one buys albums anymore. Right. So I don't think that's really reflective of its actual popularity. Um, they play a um, – the, the, there's a new football stadium that opens in Minnesota. Okay. And they, they are uh, asked to open it, and they do, and they sell it out really quickly. Okay. Um, I want to say they even played two dates maybe. Back to back, right? Um, and they, but they, they opened the stadium. They sold it out really quickly. And then Lars and Kirk, I think, both mentioned it. Like that kind of gave them some confidence that like maybe they could actually do it. Like they could go back to playing stadiums for the first time since like the late nineties. And wait, then they what, do wait this. a minute. Then what were all these shows are pulling in millions of dollars for Death Magnetic? What, whoa, what? No, 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 no. Well, okay, stadiums in the U.S. Stadiums okay. in Europe uh, okay. in the and US Australia. Okay, but they're still pulling the US millions of dollars per show. Oh, they're still putting millions, but there's yeah. a difference between playing a 20,000-seat arena right, and really 15,000. Like yeah, 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 that's Huge true. difference. Yeah, But they, they do it. They, they go through, um, 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 you know, the U.S., like crisscross in the U.S. They put this this... this they put this tour up for sale, and I remember seeing it thinking, holy it shit. It has 15 legs, dude. It end date was December 20th okay. of 2020. In other words, it was supposed to be going on right now since 2016. Well, that's, 
It, I think it was supposed to end um, this spring, but those shows got pushed to December. Oh, uh, okay. Still uh, because of the virus. The, they have this, they have this great thing on Wikipedia reason. where it's like this like representative set list. You know, it'll be like ah first mm-hmm. leg, second leg. This is by year. Where it's mm-hmm. like the 2016 era, the 2017 era, the 2018 slash 2019 era. Like, what the hell, man? Dude, it's it's funny because they this tour started started in Baltimore. There's a really good Rolling Stone article uh, bef- that came out like around that show where they interviewed the guys right before that show, their first to- big stadium show in the U.S. Yeah, uh, for this tour, night one in Baltimore, okay. and they talked about how. Um, it was like Kirk was like it kind of feels like the 90s again like right. this is crazy like we're we're back we're back to this they could not sell out the Frank Irwin Center in Austin in 2004 right. and now in 2017 uh, they're selling 60,000 seats a night uh, all over the US and if you look at that tour they didn't sell out every single stadium but still like they'll get 40,000 in a place that holds right. 50 and, and then there's this one here near Oakland. You're looking at the numbers. You're like, oh my god, they only made one hundred sixty-five thousand dollars. You're like, wow, that's still a lot of money. But then you look, and it's like a special show. That's twenty-eight hundred seats. Like, can you imagine at this point seeing Metallica in a three thousand seater? Holy shit, that would be so awesome. But yeah, you're right. That it's it's all insane. stadiums, all forty k or more. There's a couple on here that are fifteen yeah. k that are that are uh, there. There's. Every one of these stadiums is like within the 90th percentile. It's like 45,000 out of 48,000 sold, 51,000 out of 52,000 sold. Every show yeah. is north of $4 million almost. Um, man. Yeah. Dude. It's, it's, they are at this point. This is, this is where I, you saw that video of mine where I saw them at the Cowboy Stadium. Right. And oh, that's they, when they had that tour. Um, that's when they had that that wall. It's like super huge. Okay, okay. It was the wall. It was the giant, giant screen. Um, that was a man. It was an event. It was. Yeah. Cra- it's crazy how these bands come back around, dude. Well, um, and that summer I, in that particular, day, like, because because Roger Waters had that wall. We've talked about this before in our first episode. Yeah. You too use that wall the same same summer as Metallica, and I remember seeing those shows mm-hmm. in retrospect. And I was like, God damn it! Like that is a life event. Like I, I don't care how much I dislike some U two songs or whatever. Like man, that is crazy. You know? Um, it, yeah, I, I talked to people who went to that U two show and said it was like life changing. <laughs> right. It was, it was unbelievable. It, you know? Awesome. Um, but you you look at some of these and you're just like, holy shit! Like. 60,000 people at the Rose Bowl, like 60,000 people, like they sold out the Rose Bowl with no real trouble, you know, right. like they, they, they have Lars has, oh, and he said this in that Rolling Stone article that he uses U2 as the template for how to keep getting bigger and bigger. Okay. And you remember he's talked about that when they made Load and Reload, like he used U2. He doesn't just want to be a metal band. He just wants to be a huge band. Okay. And, and like they, absolutely accomplished that like right. they are now that band who they can are just legacy play wherever band they now. want whenever like with, they want they're yeah. legacy they are the eagles they yep. are if led zeppelin toured they would be led zeppelin yep uh, you know tom petty could do this he couldn't yep. he didn't sell stadiums but you know he would set up an arena tour and sell out every day easily right um, with no problem right um, and then he would go play at fenway park and sell it out right uh, right. that, you know, Pearl Jam, same thing. Right. So you see, then they come back around, they play some of the smaller cities um, in, in, in arenas. 
and, and, and sell those out as well. Now, this tour goes on and on. In this, um, in this article, they talk about how, like, it's too, I've mentioned this before, like, nowadays, they tour, like, two weeks at a time. Um, you know, if, even if they go to Europe, it's two weeks, and then they go home. Right. And then they'll go back to Europe for two more right. weeks. But it looks um, like 2019, but, they, they kicked that out, man. Because, like, yeah, 2017 and 2018 kind of looks like that. But 2019 yes. looks like another full, like, 150 or something crazy shows on this list. It's absurd. It looks at it, but look at, but look at, look at the dates. Like, okay. it is, like, May 1st through 12th um, going through Europe. And then June 8th through June 20th ah, through okay. Europe again. You're right. And then July 6th. So, like... No, they, it is two weeks at a time. That has to be driven by James, I'm sure. Right. Because um, the other guys, I don't think, mind being on the road for longer periods of time. Sure. Um, but, you know, they do. They talk about in this article also about the way they do it, uh, which is they call it they call it basing, which is where, you know, you set up in a city for two weeks. And after every show, you fly back to that city. Okay. So, like, for their show in Baltimore, it said, like, they were set up in New York City. So like they talked about like after the show in Baltimore, they flew back to New York. Uh, Lars went out in New York City till two in the morning, um, <laughs> partying. Right. And, yeah. Um, wife you know, James and, wife and to kids bed. get to vacation in New York City and then Paris and the whatever and yes. not have to I, go around to like Cologne and every other little city yeah. in between. That's interesting. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I know for part. Of, I know for part of this tour they were in. They they based out of Austin even though they weren't playing Austin. Right. Um, but they were based out of there just because it's probably an easy, if you have a private jet especially, yeah. easy to fly in and out of for right. a lot of the southwestern dates, right. southeastern dates. Yep. Um, so they did that. Now, they do this whole tour. They play a lot of festivals, and it's huge, and they're, you know, they, this tour just goes on and on and on and on. Right. Uh, they, headline, they headline Austin City Limits. Right. Um, you know, both weekends along with Paul McCartney. God. And, Huge, huge, you know, they said highest attendance they've ever had at ACL. Like, I don't um, care how big or imposter syndrome they have to feel or whatever and stuff, but like, like you said, the reverence for you too and stuff. Can you imagine mm-hmm. headlining and like looking across the field over there or hearing between your set, like Paul McCartney is like your, you know, your, your peer across the field well, over there? I mean, so it was it was McCartney night one, Metallica night two. Oh, okay. It wasn't because so they never they, saw. I, they I did they have this thing it. where like, or at least they had in the past, where it's two big stages, and like the mm-hmm. one one of them I went to was like, I don't know, maybe it was Muse or somebody. I don't know who it was, but it was like, like, uh, and a guy called uh, Ben Harper or something like that. Ben something. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. It was like this is before it became mega mega huge or whatever, two thousand three, two thousand four era or something. And it's just weird. It's just like two major major acts, and you got to choose. You go on this side of the field or that side of the field, right? Um, it was it was funny because for um, what you're supposed to do, so there are. I mean, there's like five stages, right? But there's two pretty big stages, and you right. can see one from the other. Yep. And like night one, Hozier was on kind of the second biggest and, and Paul McCartney's on the set, other one. No. Well, as soon as they wait, so as soon as Hozier's set was over, boom, lights go down. Here comes Paul McCartney. Oh, that's cool. Um, okay. okay. They, they don't play at the same time. Oh, okay. However, there was a, I don't remember who it was. I wish I could remember. There was a rap act on the second biggest one on the second night. Uh huh. And it's, it's still going. Like I am 20 feet. Me and my son are 20 feet from the Metallica stage and you can hear this rapper on okay. the other end of the field. Okay. And 
it doesn't matter. The lights go off and yeah. comes Metallica's entry and music. Right, turns around from the fucking rapper and leaves, <laughs> oh, yeah. even though he's, man. Oh, yeah. It was crazy. So they, <laughs> they do this giant tour, uh, and, and then it kind of caps off with they do two more, two new um, S&M shows with the San Francisco Symphony. Right. Um, opening opening the new arena in um, in, in San Francisco. So, There's a lot of video of that on YouTube. And did about did to you just now, th- this last week they published uh, the first couple of singles, so to speak, from it. And one of yes. them is uh, Nothing Else Matters. People are like right. hailing it, but I looked on Ara Metallica, mm-hmm. and like you said, these people are like rabid fans anyway and stuff. Right. Uh, my my off the cuff opinion is like James starting to sound kind of old, like like as in well, just like a, I mean he is old, right or whatever. There's a like, lot. Well, okay, there's a reason for that. Okay, so James, had, I mean, you could see his appearance change a little bit. He gained a little bit of weight. Sure, um, he doesn't he sound like he's unhealthy. Hair. Let's be clear. He just sounds like basically. No, no, no. He's, it sounds like his vocals have kind of like gone over the hill a little. Yeah. Like it's he can't hit, hit that. You know the young man's growl anymore, I guess, or so. You know, um, two weeks, two weeks after these S and M shows, uh, Metallica issues a press release that the South American leg of the tour is postponed because James Hetfield is back in rehab. Okay, all right. And so he's not doing very good when I, the shows hit. Okay, all right. I I remember seeing them at ACL because I saw him at that show in in Arlington at the Cowboy Stadium, right, in 2017, right. And he looked good. I mean, he looked like he always looks. Yeah. And he was on it. He looked really good. Yeah. I saw him at ACL, and he just looked, he definitely put some weight on. He looked tired. Okay. Um, he had kind of grown his hair out a little bit. He'd grown this handlebar mustache, which just always looks wheels off. Right. Um, yeah. And I remember, I Googled after that show, like, is James Hetfield drinking again? <laughs> just see, just to see if anyone else was talking about this. Right. And nobody was. Right. Uh, but two weeks after the S and people, after he announced he was going to rehab, people posted pictures from the S and M show, and they were like, "Man, he looks sad." Yeah. He looks. Yeah. Really the unhappy. video I saw, he looked like I was like, it, it, "Yeah, it didn't look like they were having a good time." He, I, I don't know what happened. Right. There's he is he's he went to rehab. This was not like a year long thing. He was out. Probably two months later, uh-huh. uh, he appeared at some car show where he was showing like his his auto collection. Right, right. Um, and he released like a book detailing his auto collection. So he was there. Okay. Um, so he was out. Looked like he was doing fine. Um, looked a lot better. Okay. Um, That's good. But he didn't. But he he never talked about like what happened. Right. Um, he never talked about like at what point did he fall off the wagon. Right. Um, Not yet. But... And. Yeah, I would imagine maybe one of these days he'll write a book, and I cannot wait for that. Right. Um, I hope he does, but right. uh, he never talked about it. But what was weird is that while he's in rehab, Metallica announces that they're going to headline like five festivals in the U.S. in 2020. Okay. And it's this deal where like they're going to play Friday night and Sunday night with two totally different set lists. Oh, man. Which so you could get your ACL bandage or what do you call it? Not bandage. Yeah. What is it called? Bracelet. Wristband. For wristband, whatever. Yeah. And you get two Metallica sets out of it rather than being like, ah, Metallica well, and I don't know who. Yeah. You know? It's a cool idea. Yeah. But the, it's a cool idea. But the problem is everyone was like, isn't Hetfield still in rehab? Like right. they're booking shows. Like right. how do they know he's going to be good to play? Right. Uh, the other thing that happened um, right before he went to rehab, or probably about a year or so before he went to rehab, Metallica came out with their own Metallica branded whiskey, <laughs> which, 
just seems, I mean, everyone, people, there were a lot of comments like, this seems pretty tone deaf yeah. for a band whose lead singer is like an alcoholic. Right. Um, <laughs> it was pretty crazy that they did. I can't believe they did that. Still, They still sell it. <laughs> yep. um, they, they appear in ads for it. I don't remember seeing Hetfield directly appearing in any ads for it, but the other guys definitely did. Um, there were also a lot of rumors, if you, if you read the Reddit forums, uh, that like Kirk Hammett was doing cocaine again during that tour. That was kind of weird. Um, you know, a lot of people kind of agreed that was pretty tone deaf of them. Um, if you read the, the Reddit forums, you'd see a lot of people talking about how um, apparently Kirk Hammett was doing cocaine again during that tour. Okay. Um, I don't know if that's true or not. Sure. I don't know. You know, who knows who these people are who say this. Right. But, you know, it, there were a lot of people who had kind of the same story. Right. Uh, that like, you know, oh, I know someone who's a roadie or right, whatever. Right, right. Um, I can see if you're on the road, I mean, this was like a two and a half year tour yeah, at that point. Right. Um, I can see if you're on the road that long, eventually, like you can just fall into some old habits. Yep. You know, I, yep. I, I don't, I wouldn't doubt that, especially if they're feeling like, man, we're riding high again. Yeah. Like we're kind of, we're back on top. Right. Um, there was a video that, that, uh, Lars posted after one of their last shows of one of their European legs uh-huh. where he's like in a bathroom, he's like a shower stall of like the arena. Uh-huh. And he's like sitting down and he's, man, he looks just, he's after a show, he looks so wasted. And he's like <laughs> sniffing, he's like sniffing a lot. And he's like, oh man, Metallica fans, that was epic, man. Oh, just man. so epic. He's like, it looks ridiculous. And everyone commented like, doing cocaine much, Lars? Right. Like it looked, right. it looked so bad. Right. Um, yeah. But again, it never affected their performance. They always looked like they were on their game. Yeah. But it looked like maybe the tour just went on a little bit too long. Too long. Yeah. Um, as Noel Gallagher said at one time at one of his tours, like this tour is a little bit past its bedtime. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, I can see if you're going on for that long, like those things just kind of, um, you know, those things can happen. Right. Uh, I've heard even David Gilmore say on one of their big tours in the '90s, you know, one of the big Pink Floyd tours. How he was like, yeah, I started living too much of the rock and roll lifestyle, you know, doing too much cocaine and things like that. And you're like, man. Really? You never thought of David Gil? Yeah. Yeah, right. He, like, you never thought of, like, David Gilmore. So if he's doing it. Right. Yeah. yeah it wouldn't surprise me if Kirk Hammett. So the implication is that. Yes. There's the, it's not the first time around. It's not that we're doing cocaine. It's like that the amount we're doing compared to the usual amount is a little high. Well, the, I think this stuff is pretty normalized yeah. for those guys. Right, I, I don't think it's any big deal. Yeah. And maybe they did stay away from it for a long time. But again, if you're just riding on top of the world right. for two and a half years on this tour, right. I, I can see it happening. I don't think it's that surprising that it happened. And I right. don't think it would have mattered if not for the fact that Hetfield um, you know, checked himself into rehab. I yeah. don't think it would have been a big deal right. um, for any of the others. They seem to handle their buzz fine. James yeah. does not. Right. Um, and so they 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 book these 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 tour dates in 2020. Um, of course, as soon as Hetfield gets out of rehab, they have to announce that they're not going to be able to play at two of those festivals because Hetfield has important recovery events on those days that he cannot miss. <laughs> right. Um, so it's. It's weird, and huh. I'm, I don't, man. And this is I don't this have is a just clue. Twenty twenty, so now the COVID thing obviously has pushed everything 
away. Or yeah, as it, as it turns out, it didn't matter. They're not going to be able to play any of those because it's right. all canceled anyway. Right. Um, they've pushed these South American dates to December, but I doubt those are happening either. Right. Um, who, who knows? But I, it well, seems you never unlikely know. They at this could point. Be, the, Metallica could be vacationing in New Zealand right now. And not affected by any of this, which I would be if I were mega rich. And they're like, yeah, the rest of the world's fine. <laughs> we can go do world just tours tour. and just avoid the United States, you know. Um, anyway. Yeah. I, 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 so it's I, I don't know. Um, I don't know where they are right now. There is talk um, of, of a new album. Right. Um, they've all made mention of they're working on material. Okay. Uh, for a new album, right. I'm all in on that. I can't right. wait. Right. Um, but beyond that, um, it's James has kind of been really ambiguous about the future of touring, right? And and how they want to handle that going forward because that sounds like a problem for him. Yeah. Um, which I hate, but Man, I can see they them get back turning to in the doing one month leg or something, and then taking two months off or whatever. Not even the two week thing. That to me sounds pretty fucking grueling. Of doing two weeks, uh, yeah. like going hard, like they were when they're twenty, right. of like fourteen right. days in a row of being on. No man, mm-hmm. it needs to be two shows a week, and they do that for a month, and then they take two months off. You know what I mean? It's it's ten shows a month or whatever, and then take it easy. Yeah, that's that's. I I think so. Well, that, even when they were doing this two week thing, even even sixty something, even they were even when even when they were doing this two week thing, they were not doing back to backs. There was at least one or two nights in between each show. Really? Okay, that's um, good. E- even when they're doing the two week thing, because they but are that means man, you're that like. But think said, about the new set leaving the band. Right, half of it was that he's like, man, like it is taking a toll on my body. These guys are. Man, Hetfield's only fifty six. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. I thought they were way older than this, and that, I mean, it shows from like yeah. maybe the boozing and the drugging. But I think also, like, man, those are those shows are physical, dude. Those guys are, you it know. Is. But think about this. But I, you know, I always, I, I one time, um, I sent a, a Twitter uh, um, question to uh, Tom Petty's keyboard player because I do that <laughs> right, right, all the time. Okay. I do that all the time. Okay. It was after Petty died. It was after Petty died. But I was yeah. like, why didn't you guys ever tour like Asia or Japan or right. why didn't you tour Europe very often? Because sure. they were popular over there and they okay. never they never played Asia their entire career. Never. Right. Um, and he was like, Tom, just like it's it's hard to travel overseas. Yes. And Tom didn't like doing that. Can you imagine doing that? two weeks at a time like dude you're gonna go for two weeks and you're gonna go home for two weeks and go back over there for two more weeks like if you if it's hard guys like petty bob seeger won't tour europe it's just a pain in the ass to do yeah, that right the whole infrastructure getting your equipment over there i'm sure they store it oh man i got back, a but... i got a story about that about um josh Fries, drummer i've mentioned several times awesome podcast mm-hmm. interviewee for like he's been he was a drummer for a perfect circle and a whole bunch of bands or whatever right now he's a drummer mm-hmm. for sting this COVID thing comes out and he talks about the technicality of it which is Dude, a month and a half ago, I, you know, basically they cheap ship as, as, as cheap as they can ship their equipment on a ship overseas. So they're like in Europe and their their secondary or whatever kit is going to Asia at the same time to be there yeah. a month and a half from now when they get there. Right. So mm-hmm. COVID comes and he's like, yeah, I literally am without like one of my favorite drum kits right now or my most favorite or something like this. And it's stuck on a ship going over to customs over there. And hopefully somebody's going to be able to get it back here, you know, three months from now. 
or something like that is yeah that's some logistical nightmare shit man um that's crazy yeah i i, I can't imagine um and i know they travel in comfort and all that but, sure um the older you get you know there's no replacement for being in your own bed right and in yeah, your own house and yeah that's 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 i don't know that that's an easier way to tour um but i think they think it's a more responsible way to tour yeah um what they're going to do in the future i could see them turning into just a band that just kind of plays festivals yep um you know where they basically just go out for the weekend yeah and then they go home i I could totally see that because there's think about how many festivals in the u.s are happening now versus 15 years ago right um 15 years ago like remember when metallica played we didn't talk about this but like they played bonnaroo and okay. it was a big deal. It was a big, oh, okay. like, in okay. the mid-2000s, they play, they headlined Bonnaroo, and it was, like, a controversial thing to have Metallica uh, playing Bonnaroo. Why was it controversial? Think, because that actually happened at Lollapalooza, too, where, like, there was um, there was something about, like, the fifth or sixth one Metallica did, and Metallica with that time was already U2 size, whereas, like, Lollapalooza historically had been, like, you know, yeah, Primus and Pearl Jam played it, but they're like they're almost no name bands at the time, so they're all hanging out with each other and having a good time and sort of spreading culture and stuff. And with Metallica, it was like nobody saw them, and it was basically Metallica and the Who Cares with you know other people you know playing. But they also stacked the lineup to be metal kind of stuff rather than this alternative bohemian kind of eclectic collection of random people or whatever. Is this the same thing as the Bonnaroo? Bonnaroo Festival was classically something a little bit stranger and not so. I don't know, big or something or. Yeah, it was, I think Bonnaroo was, um, did not have like a, a rock or metal edge to it. Okay. Um, here's a article from Esquire, uh, yeah. that, uh, came out when Metallica was announced and it says five reasons why Metallica will doom Bonnaroo forever. Okay. Um, and reason number one is they killed Lollapalooza. Yep. Um, so I, uh, there's something about Metallica doesn't fit into that box. Okay. Um, but I think these festival organizers realized, you know what? It doesn't matter what the genre is. The bigger the name, the better. Yeah, exactly. Paul McCartney uh, and Metallica name, aren't exactly bills I would put together in 1995. But now the festival circuit is like, dude, everybody come listen to music. Discover some rap guy you would never hear otherwise. Right, and this yeah. folk indie single singer, and then like fucking whatever Pearl Jam's closing the night. Like that's that's pretty cool in my man, opinion, man. I it's, it's like, I, I discovered I discovered Brandy Carlisle, who okay. is a hero of mine now. Okay, because she was playing at ACL the afternoon that Metallica played that night. Okay, like right. Exactly. I would have never seen her other. I I I'd heard one Which of her great, songs that I kind of liked. What's hilarious to me is like that's what Lollapalooza, at least you know, especially yes. set out to do is like expose people to different culture and different music. Exactly. And it's like uh, like that still fucking happens. I don't know. South by Southwest is a good example. Like it's it's more disorganized. I mean, it's obviously more organized behind the scenes, but a little bit more like decentralized than just being in uh, Zilker Park or whatever. But it's like two thousand fucking bands man and when Metallica comes which they did once they play like under a different name at a secret show in a like 500 person club that's really really cool but like dude like the the roster for three days of five stages right like when we were kids I remember when I was 18 man I was I was saving money and I just thought I would just pop the question to my mom one day and be like hey I got enough for a plane ticket to Woodstock 99 
Right. And she was like, was that's not, not happening. I met, I, I met your mother. There's no way that was happening. <laughs> right. And that was really good because that was the one where they all set it on fire. And like, mm-hmm. I remember years later, yeah. like being on my first business trips and like almost puking my guts out and like fear of like, how do I rent a car? You know, whatever, like five years right. later yeah. or something. But you now like basically in Austin, and, and Bonnaroo is a good example, too. There are all of these festivals. But in Austin, two weekends of the year, every year, is a Woodstock 99. Five stages, yeah. nonstop. It's not like Woodstock where it's like a little city that's like can't support that many people hanging around. You just go back to your fucking hotel, wake up the next morning, and take an Uber down to it again. I mean, man, that is some awesome shit. But anyway... Yeah, it, it, music fest. I, I really, I, I'd never been to ACL before Metallica right. headlined, um, right. and I, I went, right. and I found some uh, some bands I, I I really really came to enjoy. Right, uh, Brandy Carlisle being one of them. Right, uh, Father John Misty played. I'd never seen him before. Right, um, he was he was really good. Right, um, of course McCartney the night before, and I wonder also for a band like Metallica. Because they played night two. How many people bought the wristband to go see McCartney and stayed the second night to see Metallica when they wouldn't have ever seen Metallica otherwise? Right, exactly. And That's I true. think there's a value in that for a band like Metallica, but there's also a value in it because I but bet they I, got paid like five million dollars. Right. I was gonna say to I don't play. think I don't think that the concept of value exists to Metallica, in my You're personal right. opinion. Yeah. This is a band that has name check recognition with probably a billion people worldwide if not mm-hmm. more yeah right i mean oh, yeah. they, they do not have a problem with money they don't have a problem with value the thing that that you, you said earlier about them like maybe retiring a little bit and chilling out the thing that i that i wonder about is like i the more we've talked about them and whatever like i was talking to jane today about like i used to think that u2 and pearl jam were like the u2 and pearl jam level of like fan service and being fan mm-hmm. friendly and having all this like here's how it's working inside thing like Metallica is yeah. truly the kiss of our generation of like it is insane they have these three hour documentaries per album or whatever they have tons of live albums released tons of live videos tons of live whatever like all this crazy mm-hmm. stuff um I don't see a band like that stopping and it's not necessarily that's ego and these guys are like man I want to do this because I'm amazing, but it's like, man, they're like an artifact of the world that's living. You know, I mean, yeah, they are. It's it's funny because you'll hear them now on on classic rock radio. Right, uh, you'll, yeah. you'll hear yeah. them on in Dallas. You'll hear, I don't listen to KZPS. Ever that's where, that's where in, in Portland. Uh, that's where the Meta- mandatory did. Metallica is. It's on the classic rock radio. Yes. Now. <clears throat> Because they've been around for forty years. When me and you were growing up in the mid nineties, they were already music, around for fifteen classic, years. A, yeah. class, a classic rock, a classic rock band had been around since let's say nineteen seventy. Yep. So it had been 20, 25 years. Yep. Uh, yep. Well, twenty five years ago was was you know what would that be from now? That'd be uh, load. Yeah. The, so load. 90, load would be fucking classic rock at this point. Uh, Smashing Absolutely. Pumpkins are on those st- stations now too. Obviously, you know. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So you, 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 they have, um, they, it, the other thing that's, that's interesting, um, that I'll, I'll kind of, you know, wrap up my, uh, my Metallica comments with is we've talked about this in the last episode, but it's especially true, like on this most recent tour that for a bunch of guys in their mid fifties, it would be very easy to go out there and play those songs and look like Spinal Tap. 
and yeah. they don't. No. Like, they go out there and play to 60,000 people, and even the old stuff, even Master of Puppets, even um, Seek and Destroy, their first big hit that they made when they were 19 years old. Right. Um, they kill it. It holds up, and the fans, and the fans know. And they crush the it know every those songs. time. They crush it, um, you know, and then at the end of the show, Lars gets out there and he's like, man, I remember playing, you know, whatever little club in Deep Ellum. Right. um, You know, when we first toured through here and, but they, you know, I've heard him also say like, who's, you know, he was at their first Metallica show and it's like 75% of the audience. Yeah. Yeah. uh, Because somehow they continue to gain a young audience. But no, I mean, people who, to me, to me, there's like, sounds like a little little bit of shock and you're surprised in your voice. This is Led Zeppelin, man. Mm -hmm. You and I don't understand this. I don't think, but like you and I understand this concept from our parents, especially is like, yes, every 16 year old boy, Maybe a Black Sabbath phase, maybe Pink Floyd, but absolutely hits a Led Zeppelin phase. And it is like, oh, my God. And you tell all of my friends this bands exist. Did you know who Led Zeppelin is? Metallica is one of those now. You know, Nirvana, maybe. Honestly, like maybe. People, a lot of kids like make fun of Nirvana, right? A lot of kids make fun yeah. of like and Smashing Pumpkins is one of those like also rands, kind of, you know, especially now that they've, you know, done their legacy into the ground and whatever, right? Stone Temple Pilots, <laughs> Al- Alice in Chains, all these bands, man. But like, and you know, everybody's going to break up with their college girlfriend and maybe hit you two a little bit then or something and be, you know, whatever. Like that's for us, what yeah. the cure is, is maybe what some of the kids today is the U2 might be or something, right? But my Metallica, I gotta, I gotta believe, is one of those. You hit sixteen, this really starts fucking resonating, and this is where you're like, man, old nineties yeah. rock and eighties rock is not so bad, right? But what what stands out to me here is is not just that they are, um, you know, you know, enduringly popular. Right. It's that they're still making really good music. That's true, and that's what's they, made them is, enduringly popular. I don't have any yeah. faith that Nirvana would have continued to make good music or even stayed together. Exactly. Like, right. I think they'd kind of had it with Kurt by the time he killed himself anyway. Right. Like, I, yeah. I, I, I think they kind of had it with his nonsense yeah. right. <laughs> already. Right. I don't have any faith that that would have continued. So yeah. Pearl Jam might be one of the closer comparisons. But them too. Um, like when the that, records come out, you're like, oh, it just sounds like a Pearl Jam record. There are definitely fans who are huge about it and whatever. Mm-hmm. And obviously, I guess Metallica is going to have the same thing. But like... It's a good record. I listened to Death Magnetic and I was like, this is, if this had been my first Metallica record, I'd been like, who the fuck is this? Oh my God. I love Death Magnetic. I, that's, right? that's probably, I mean, man, after Load, I don't know. Death Magnetic is my, it's top four for me, sure, Metallica sure. albums, probably. Right. Um, I, I, I think it's, it's, I think it's some of their best work they've ever done. I think it's really, really good. Yeah, it sounded great. Extremely listenable. Yeah. And um, if, if a kid goes to a Metallica show today, like he's hooked. He's a fan. And, you know, you can say like, oh, well, Guns N' Roses, they played stadiums on their big reunion tour. They didn't play one note of new music. Yeah. Like, they didn't right. go into the no, studio that, that, That's at the Fleetwood all. Mac reunion, right? I mean, and it's yes. fine. Rumors is fucking huge. An appetite for destruction mm-hmm. is like a legacy artifact of culture, but mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. But you look at like yeah, Nirvana, The Doors. Right. All right, people love The Doors. Would they have stayed together? Jim Morrison was a nut job. Exactly. Like I, that band would not have stayed together. That band would not have continued to make really right. great music right. through the years. Robert Plant um, would never 
still today be going out on tour playing those same 15 hits that he has to play every night. Yeah. Like Robert Plant would never right. allow himself to do that, and that's fine, yep. whatever. Right. Metallica doesn't seem to mind doing that. They right. seem to enjoy right. it. Uh, they seem to enjoy bringing their music to a new generation right. of, of fans. Yeah. Um, and I, you're right. They are, the, they are every bit as big as Led Zeppelin. The only reason Led Zeppelin has a more mythical status is because they broke up in 1980 and they never really played together again. Right. Right. You know, I think that's, that is the key difference because culturally, um, cultural significance, uh, I, I, I think they're on the same level. Yeah, I agree. For sure. I agree. The so. band that stands the test of time and, and really because of, I guess, their changes and how they do change mm-hmm. and develop over the time, whatever, they yeah. really like, you know, maybe after like Garage Inc. or something, it kind of is getting murky and they're kind of going back and rehashing and becoming old metallic. But they are one of those bands that you can trace a whole movement of rock yeah. and roll music, right? I mean, you can trace metal through alternative rock and how it adjusted to it all through their catalog. And it is good the whole yeah. way through. It's none of the stuff where like maybe Megadeth missed on one of these records. I don't know. I haven't listened to a lot of their records, but you know, it's it's yeah. like you like them or hate them. Saint Anger is when they missed, and by the time they missed Saint Anger, I don't know, man. That record maybe could have came out in 1998, and people have been like, man, this is pretty great compared to the weird crap that's coming out right now in '98, where everybody's like, is rock and roll dead? You know, um, I, I don't know. There's something about St. Anger where, like, when you make a big announcement that, like, man, we are all writing this record now and right. everyone has equal input. Right. Like, this, the expectations are already all screwed up yeah. and no one was going to like that album. Right. And also it sucks. <laughs> um, right. But they with the next one, like, they came right back at it. Yep. And even with the one that missed, you know how uh, I sent you that list of Kiss shows from, like, the early 80s? Right. And... You saw venues because it had that box office data. Yeah. And you saw venues that held like 12,000 people right. and attendance was like 3,000. Yeah, yeah. Um, even at Metallica's worst, they never had a period like that. Right. Never. Right. Like not even close. Right. Um, yeah, but they haven't done me, bullshit where it's like, you right. know, a, like Metallica figures. There are some that has happened from really high mm-hmm. profile, like special edition places that make little figurines like that. But Kiss is everywhere. Kiss, like to appease everybody, like you mentioned, like they had um, what, like, like solo albums for all four of them come out at the same time. The band is a revolving, you know, cast of monkey characters and stuff and whatever. It's like, it's it's got a bit of humor to it, right? And a bit of like, um, the mystique doesn't exist. It's just fun. And Metallica, yeah. man, Gen X loves to hate everything, right? And loves to oh, yeah, be sure. mad about everything. And sometimes they're hate at uh, Metallica. But Metallica is always going to pluck those heartstrings of an angsty little 17-year-old who's just not fitting in, right? And and for all of us to sure. hit that when we were 17 or when we were 23, that's a part of your life. It becomes a part of you. It's very, very relatable, Whereas, you know, I want to rock and roll all night and party every day. Like, I mean, okay, but Metallica is very, very <laughs> that was personal, not my That was I not think. my life. That was that was not my life at 16 at all. <laughs> right, exactly, <laughs> right? And, and you know, uh, J- Jane's uh, parents, you know, they, they loved 
seen Kiss, and they they they, they did like mm-hmm. her mom lived that life a little bit and enjoyed it quite a bit. I don't think she had tattooed yeah. lyrics of it or anything, but like sure. you know, and, and obviously you and I are a certain class of you know kinds of high school loser to listen to this kind of music, but like it. Yeah. It's deeply satisfying. They're a band like we talked about is does a lot of fan service and is like there's just so much you get into. You can you will drown if you try and understand everything Metallica and know everything Metallica and that is really cool. Right? Yeah. You know, Led oh, Zeppelin yeah. is a pretty Endless. Like, you know, pretty mysterious band even to this day of like what really happened? What was it really like for these guys? And like, you know, part of that's technology technological revolution where it costs almost nothing now to just record all of the time and pay some guy 10, 10 grand to edit down to three yeah. hours, you know. Um but no, oh, and if you want to go, if you want to go on YouTube and, and kill some time, right. um, the fan shot um, concert videos, dude, they do that for um, nine nails. Like, it is fucking rad. Like, man, like five different people in this, or fifty different people, like put all their footage together, and like here's yeah. this song and that song from different angles, and they pick the best fucking audio. It is awesome. Yeah, that I, man. The fact that I can, the fact that I can type in Metallica Dallas 2009, Dude. eleven years ago, right. and find like a the highest quality audio I've ever heard right. on a YouTube right. concert video from eleven years ago, right. from right next to the stage. I think it's picking up the actual um, monitor on the stage yeah. for James's voice. Yep. That's what it sounds like to yeah, me. Yeah, because um, that's how clear his voice is right. on that. Right. Um, the fact that I can do that. I, you you want to find Jason. And Newstead's last show with Metallica, yep. it's there. Man, um, yeah. you want to find Trujillo's first show with Metallica, it's there. Right. It is all there. Right. No matter what you want to find, it is so yep. um, abundant on YouTube. You could waste so much time right. looking at YouTube stuff yeah. and looking at backstage videos. Yeah. Um, it's it's endless. Right. Absolutely endless. Yeah. And uh, plenty of interviews. You go type in Metallica in the Rolling Stone website. Plenty of interviews. They're 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 pretty accessible. This last stadium tour they did, uh, I forgot how many semi trucks, but the stage took three days to set up. Yep, and they have like multiple uh, teams, in every right? venue, and they have two or three stages. Yep. So there's always one in transit to the next yep. show. Yep. being set up. Yep. Uh, but I remember seeing when they were playing the Cowboys Stadium. I remember seeing someone who worked at the stadium post a video of like two days before the show of the stage being built. So you are renting that stadium not for one night, nope, but for an, uh, for almost a week. Yep, between setup and teardown. And like, dude, um, there was I think I'm, you might have seen it. I shared a few months ago uh, a time lapse somebody had of Ramstein right now setting up their mm-hmm. show, which they are famous and infamous for like being an awesome concert. They do a lot of pyrotechnics and stuff. It is crazy, dude. It is like an ant hill on fast forward for three fucking yes. days putting the right. stage together this crazy enormous yep. and then you fill see it fill with 50,000 people and you're like dude that is that is worth a hundred dollar ticket i'm sorry it ain't twelve dollars anymore fourteen dollars where pearl Jam comes out and they're like t-shirts and jeans and you know throws their their you know uh four by four twelve uh inch you know bass amp up and starts playing like it's it is an event man it, it's got a whole payroll that if the oh, shows yeah. fall through, there are hundreds of lives that are deeply affected by it. You know, um, mm-hmm. it's yeah. it's crazy. It is an industry. You know, it, Metallica yeah. on tour is an industry. I mean, every yeah. single show is a multi million dollar company. Right. Every single show. Right. Um, it co- you know, collects revenues of a mid sized business. 
Dude, every single yeah, show, way more. It's, than, it's m- crazy. way more mid size. This is a. I, I, okay, I'm yeah. curious. Like, uh, that's an interesting idea. Do you think they're a Fortune One Thousand? If you, I would. They would never allow themselves to be listed as a corporation. But if they were, right? Um, I, I, I would bet. I mean, think about. There's. How I bet you. It I bet you. No fortune, I bet you the entry fee to Fortune One Thousand or something is maybe ten million a year. I don't. know. Maybe it's not. Maybe I'm way out of base and it's a hundred. Well, easily. Maybe they it's a hundred million a year. But Metallica would be easily, in that that category. I mean, they easily make ten million a year. Right. There's no doubt. Right. About exactly. That. Right. Um, uh, you know, there's, there's, um, I want to say, um, gosh, I, I bet, I mean, one show alone. These tours, they're, they're, they're clocking for 50 dates. They're clocking about 50 million. If it's a stadium show, those guys are each putting a million dollars in their pocket. Yep. If it's a stadium show, yep. that's, that's a million dollars. And they're doing two or three of those a week when they're touring. Um, so yeah, they're doing fine. So we were talking about this like fan service thing where like at some point like you know you get a million dollars you get ten million dollars and you know you're set for life and maybe even your grandkids are set for life at some point that mm-hmm. does not matter so when these guys are pulling in a million dollars a night like it doesn't matter I mean right what is James yeah. Hetfield's like what's going on in these people's heads other than like man I, I like playing music and it is awesome that we're making people happy right well, number number one, I, I don't think there is a replacement for the rush of walking out to a stage of right. 50,000 people who cannot wait to hear your songs. I don't yeah. think there's any buzz that can compare. There's no drug you can do right. that can compare to that. And I've heard artists say that before. Right. Like that's 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 the, the – you do all the work you do is to get to that moment. Right. Um, you know, that, that's it. Yeah. Number two, um, there are, um, I, I've heard, I think Kirk Hammett say that like, you know, it's not just about the money for them. It's, there's a crew, there's roadies, there's, um, there's a whole crew of hundreds of people that they're not necessarily paying when they're not on tour. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and so you do, you are providing an income for those people. And I think they feel a bit of a responsibility to them. Right. Um, so there's that. And yeah. the third is, is what I've, what I've said, Robert Plant said before, which is, you know, cause this, this reporter was pestering him about why don't you get back together with Jimmy Page and tour. And he turned, he, he got up to leave. He was like, we're done. Then he turned around and he goes, you know why the Eagles, toured again after they said they wouldn't do it until hell freezes over it's not because someone gave them a bunch of money it's because they're bored and i'm not bored right right and that's that's metallica i don't think they're bored this is why i think though they could turn into a festival band Uh like almost a festival only band because i don't think james particularly cares for the long tour anymore right and i think he's the one that kind of calls the shots on that right like i think they really can't do it if, if he's not on board. Um, and so um, if you're talking about the best way to maximize your income, um, pay the crew, but also not spend three days setting up a stage. Yeah. Um, because if you're going to do that, you have to play dozens of shows to make that worthwhile. Yep. Right. Yep, like that's you, you got to do a lot of them. Yeah, right. Yeah. But a festival, a festival, the stage is already set up. Yeah. I might bring some of my own props, right. but for the most part, the stage is set up. I'm going to fly in two hours before that yeah. show, walk out on the stage, play it. Right. And I'm going to be in my own bed by one o'clock that morning. Right. Um, I, I think that is pretty appealing to 
a lot of bands. And I think that's why the festival circuit in Europe is so big. Right. Um, and I think that's happening here. And I could see Metallica being a really, really big part of that festival circuit. And it sounds like they had decided to do that instead of touring in 2020. Right. They were going to just do these five big festivals. Right. Remember the desert trip? Remember the desert trip? Yeah. Um, it was, you know, I, I can't believe they haven't done another one of those, but if they did, Metallica's a prime suspect yeah. to play a show like that. Right, right, exactly. They're on that level. They could totally do it. Yep. They're going to walk away with a $10 million check, yep. and they'll be home by midnight. To, to be clear, I don't think a lot of people know what the desert trip is. Why don't you describe that a little mm-hmm. bit? So it was this music festival, but instead of having like 100 bands like ACL does, it was like they, 12, each 20. night, each, no, each, no, 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 no. Um, it was like, Four or six. I think it was four. It was, no, maybe six. It was Bob Dylan, the Rolling Stones, the Who. Who do not tour. Paul McCartney. Let's be clear. The Who has not been yeah. on tour or played shows. Uh, they, no, they, no, they tour, but really? not not every year. Oh. Not every year. Really? I didn't know um, that. Man, what? You can see yeah. the Who now? You can see the Who. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, you can see the Who. Yeah, we'll talk about the Who one day. Um, so you got, you got Dylan, Dylan, the Stones... McCartney. So one night, it's it's two bands each night. It's okay. Dylan, The Stones, one night. It's McCartney and um, The Who the next night. And then it's Neil Young and Roger Waters the next night. Man. So it's six bands over three nights, and that's it. Yep. And the tickets were like $1,000 a piece. Yep. Um, it is only for the ultra wealthy. Had no problem selling to. out at all. Had no, Come but it was, and the, I, I knew people who went. Did you know anyone who went I, to those? I did not. So I I I, uh, I knew someone who went who said um, basically it was the easiest festival experience they've oh, ever I bet. had. Like, like Coachella costs every... Coachella costs a lot of money too, but like half a yeah. million fucking people go to it. I don't know if you've no. ever seen these videos of like people shooting yeah. the Radiohead, you know, video and the thing. You, dude, just wait for the pro shot video because this person yeah. might as well be like on a mountain looking into a city and see like a show like down in the main street from like a mile and a half away. Like who cares at that point? Right. Um, how many people went to this thing? Let me see. I'll tell you. I'll see if I can tell you. What was it called? The desert trip. Um, it was called the desert trip. It was dubbed old cella. <laughs> um, it does not say the average attendee spent a thousand dollars though. Right. Um, and it was, yeah, Bob Dylan, The Stones, Neil Young, Paul McCartney, and then The Who and Roger Waters. It right. was six. And so basically this guy said, like, you got there. Parking was super easy. Uh, there were no lines. Like, you get to an usher and, like, they just take you to your spot where you're supposed to be. Um, there were a lot of people. It's not like it was a small thing. Like, it was a big thing. Um, but it was really, really well done. Okay, it looks like um, looks like ACL was, size, man. Or maybe ACL is bigger okay, now, yeah. but it, it looks like it's seventy five thousand people, which compared to like Coachella okay, being yeah. two hundred or five hundred or something insane is uh, like I mean it, it's it's doable, you know. I mean, anyway. So that's my predict. That's my prediction. I think Metallica turns into that band. I don't think they do a yeah. lot of extensive touring uh, right. from now on. Right. I think James in this last stint in rehab is like kind of the, the nail in the coffin for doing right. that type of touring anymore, which I hate because I, I really want to see him again. 
is this the second time of rehab? Like, or have there been several between like now and some kind of monster? Was some kind of monster no. the first time? What's the yeah. what's the count? Some kind of monster. Some kind of monster was the first time. Okay. Um, in fact, he did an interview with Joe Rogan um, about a year before he went to rehab, where he he said he's been sober ever since, and it's the best thing he ever did. Yada yada yada. Mm-hmm. So um, no, it doesn't sound like it's been a problem at yeah. any point in between now and then. Right. Um, so I. I don't know what happened, but, and again, yeah. he's never talked about specifically what actually did happen, but, right. um, you know, just, uh, who knows, man, out now the, the road and... plus personal problems, maybe a parent dying, who knows, man, there, there a lot of shit can really pull you down, you know, or you, or you just think like, I, I know, uh, like Jason Isbell is an artist I like a lot and he's uh-huh. been sober for several years and he has said before, like, if not for the fact that he were, quote, you know, Captain Sober, because he talks about it all the time. Right. There are definitely times when he would have had a drink in the last few years. And be like, ah, oh, this one's know, every, not going to hurt. And, you know, yeah, next week, like, it's just gonna, I'm not going to drink every night next week. So it's okay yes. this week. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> just, describe, just describe my life. <laughs> but he's like he's like but the fact that everyone knows like i i just you know i he's, wouldn't i can't lie to everyone he's, he's made himself accountable yeah he's made himself really accountable, and i think hetfield has too but i i but can at the same see, time hetfield hasn't some, made like his name on it he hasn't made like a bunch of like fucking no. you know u2 or uh i don't know what you would call it like a Toby Keith song. It's like a national anthem about James no, Hetfield being sober. What it's like to be sober or something. You know, he's he he's always admitted that he's got demons. He's always admitted oh, that yeah. like those persist. They're not healed. They're not gone. You know, and, and that's, well, that's 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 endearing. Like these people really are. They're like, yeah, you know what? I am like a multi multi million dollar person, but there still are always problems in life. That's just like how life works. And I'm still like, you know, I'm still damaged from shit that happened to me or shit that I went through or whatever. And that doesn't go away. You know that that's that's real. I think that's really impressive to, you know, to to make that stance, you know, and, and, and make know, it, make it, make it credulously, right? You two at this point, Bono can never say anything about a hardship period. And I'm not sure exactly how he got to that point. He's still a real person. And like when he goes and makes all these philanthropic things, people just laugh at him endlessly. Like what yeah. happened with his character or his persona that he's not, that he can't pull off the credibility that Hetfield is. Is it just the genre of ma- music? You know, I, what is it? I, that's a good question. I, I, why do people hate Bono and right. not hate Hetfield? Hetfield. And right. I, I don't know because I hate Bono. Right. I don't even know why. No, why exactly. I right. So much? I, I don't even know why. I, 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 I think I think he tries so hard. To me, he's a guy who who really wants to be, quote, like woke. Like he right. he will try so hard to be involved in all these different causes. Right. And I've never known Metallica to, to be that way. Right. In fact, and they, and they do some charitable like, things, obviously. They, they just now did this acoustic record. You can see it was a live charitable event. But it's not no, like they their do. definition of like the stance they take, right? Hetfield does – Hetfield even walks – a little bit of a line of being a little bit conservative on some things. He's a big gun guy. Yeah. Yep. Um, he, if you dug into his uh, politics, I think you might be a little disappointed. Huh. Um, but I, but I think that's part of what you kind of like about him. Also, is that he's he just is who he is. Yep. He's he's not out there no trying to be. Yep. He's not out there trying to be Bono. He's not out yep. there claiming to change the world. Nope. Um, he's just. 
he he does what he does. He is who he is. Right. And no, I've never heard anyone. Uh, I've heard people complain about Lars. Um, yeah. You know, because of the Napster stuff. But other than well, and also even, like, like Lars, I, Lars I, like you talked about last time, like he just he's kind of entitled or is entitled and yeah, runs his sure. mouth and like and it hurts people's feelings and says things mm-hmm. he shouldn't say and shit and. You know, it, it, you know, it, after watching some kind of monster in retrospect with us talking about Newstead and how, remember, I told you, like, at the beginning, I was like, oh, man, they made fun of him. Like, Newstead was a good mirror for Lars, I think, in terms of the amount of sure. shit talking he does and did. Yeah. These are unlikable characters, but, man, they bring their their work, their work output, the thing that they put into the mm-hmm. world is so phenomenal and so consistent and so... Just and, and and even they take their fucking licks and they get back up and they get back on the horse. They go into fucking yeah. rehab. They they go through multiple cycles of people being like, "Oh, this band is definitely done." Look, they went alt rock and cut their hair off. Oh man, this band is definitely done. Right. They went to therapy and look at them, right? I mean, this is no. th- th- these guys are they're they're the team that you want to go to the World Series, and sometimes they do, and then also sometimes they fail really bad, and you yeah. can't stop rooting for them. That's yeah. they're incredible, right? No, um, I, I this yeah. has just been a big competition between who loves Metallica more. Um, but, <laughs> I don't uh, love them. No, I, I love they're not guys. even a top I, ten for me, but they're they are like an amazing, compelling story. It's very similar no, to the Pearl Jam yeah. one we, we talked about. Like that, it's just a band that's like, man, they they it's maybe they're just great businessmen or whatever or something. But these guys get it and they're authentic. And if you're into it, like it's really rewarding. And if you're not, it's not yeah. that big a deal, you know? Yeah, um, it's it's still okay. Yeah. Um, it's it's okay to be just kind of like no one is kind of into Kiss. You love right. them or you hate them. Right, it's okay exactly. to be kind of into Metallica. And if you right. go see a Metallica show and you're just kind of into Metallica, you're gonna love it because yep. they're gonna play a bunch of hits yep. and you're gonna be really happy with. And what all you the heard. other songs are consistently good too. So you'll find stuff yeah. between the hits. So you're like, man, I thought I was gonna be like you know like looking at my phone through some of this. This was all good, you know. Um, no, it's 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 really good. Right. So um, I, I that's I, I rubber stamp Metallica five stars. Okay, um, I love I celebrate their entire catalog, kind of like Michael Bolton. Um, I. <laughs> I, to be clear, um, Jeremy means I, Michael Bolton celebrates their catalog as well. Let's not, let's not. Yes, uh, Michael Bolton <laughs> celebrates their catalog as well. Um, and 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 I I I cannot wait for them to uh, play live shows again because I will be the first one to be there and buy my ticket. And oh, man, I'll um, go with you. That's you know, that's pretty fucking I, rad. Like I, I would definitely want to see him after that video you showed me the yeah. Death Magnetic tour. Where it was like this crazy like laser show shit going on, and then obviously I saw the one a couple of years ago of the big like wall video wall thing. Or oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know what form that's going to take in the future. Sure. I don't care. I'll go see them. I trust that they're going to work it out just fine. Yeah, and uh, I can't wait. Yeah, that's awesome. Love them. That's cool. Uh, I mean, I guess Death Magnetic would be your recommendation from this era, right? Somebody's like this, somebody's yeah, into old yeah. Metallica or trying oh, to yeah. get into Metallica. Now we got the whole retrospective. Somebody's trying to get into Metallica. Is it still listen to the Black Album? If they're going to get into the, to, to to older Metallica, the Black Album is probably where you'd want to start. Yeah. That's the most listenable. Right. It's the easiest entry point. Right. If you want to know what this band has sounded like in the last um, fifteen years, yeah. then Death Magnet Death Magnetic is where I'd go for sure. Cool. Really, really great album. Really good. I think still a pretty easy listen. Yeah. No, it's it's. I liked it quite a bit. I'm gonna listen to it some more. Um, mm-hmm. 
Death Magnetic is that does that rank in the top five for you or in Metallica yeah, in, and for Metallica, Metallica albums? Yeah, for sure. Nice, cool. Yeah, I I I would throw you know I would throw Master of Puppets. I would throw Ride the Lightning in there. I would throw a load in there and I would throw death magnetic in there. Nice. And I love, I love the black album, but that's one of those albums that's just been out there so much and the hits are so Overplayed. hits, yeah. you know, that right. it's hard to put it in the top five. Yeah. Um, Cause you can't you fall asleep um, yeah. when you listen to it. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I hear you. So the last thing I'll, I'll say, sure. I'm going to have to talk about it for 20 minutes. It's just a question and that there's sure. no answer to, sure. um, is I am really curious to see what happens with this band as they do get into their sixties yeah. because they are the first metal band. And I think that's made it to this point. Yep. Um, the Eagles can still play their songs when they're in their seventies. It's no right. big deal. Right. Um, that's true. Even the who can, the, the who can still play their songs. Right. Um, yeah. But you know, these are can, physically can grueling guys, songs. Yeah. yeah, man. Because yeah. I don't think they will step foot on a stage if they cannot go at a hundred percent. Like yep. they do not strike me as right. the kind of band who's going to intentionally slow it down or right. tune it way down. Yeah. Um, they'll tune it down a little bit now, but they don't strike me as the kind of band that's going to totally rework everything. Right. I'm really curious to see what do they do 10 years from now? Because yeah. there's no way they can keep this up into their 70s. I don't know. People said that about the Stones, I'm sure, um, and they're still doing it, but I'm yeah, really but the curious. the Stones aren't doing lightning speed solos, right? And I know. stuff that, like, that requires, yeah. like, like, slamming the, phys- the, mute, the instrument around for three hours. I mean... Yes, you know? that's, I'm really curious about that. Yeah. And I, I cannot wait for them to start writing books. <laughs> Give me right. the books. Man, and Give the, con- and the, the James Hetfield solo country record, man, I'm all in. We were talking about, real quickly, on the text, that was one mm-hmm. thing I listened to Reload before this, and I texted you, like, dude, Unforgiven is like a mix-up of 90s Metallica, Unforgiven 2, like the original riff and literally country, and he's singing country twang yeah. through it, and I'm like, man, the the Hetfield country record, I cannot wait. It's going to happen. He's going to get over the thing and it's going to be like just like this little acoustic thing they did could you imagine a metallica doing an acoustic live record it happened you know? did you know uh it did happen did you know hetfield is actually a, a really good banjo player i believe it dude he he's got some, that's true that's yeah, a fact i believe it man yeah i i can't know he could there's a there's a little redneck in james hetfield. yeah definitely so don't yeah. don't don't count that out Right. Don't count that. Don't, no, don't sleep on country. I'm, a, I'm into it. It, it. Dude, he so. that guy can write some songs or these real heartfelt things that don't necessarily yeah. have to be over the top metal. So anyway. Yeah. Yeah, man. All, All right, right, man. Metallica. Cool. Good stuff. Yeah, dude. Cool. Love him.